This is the Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com. The assumption that the best protein comes from corpses is a racist belief. How do you know the animal would have picked you to feed off their corpse? 21st century animal eating requires our complicity in a new colonialism. These events especially affect girls and young women. Your hamburger comes with a dose of misogyny. Popular culture is flooded with references to sexy cows, sexy pigs, sexy chickens, sexy fishes, who all just want to have fun. Meat eating is also one of the ways gender-based structures of oppression are perpetuated. Masculinity, a construct of the gender binary facing constant destabilization, feels always under threat, and eating animals is its protection racket. White supremacists weaponized it, eating meat, eggs, and dairy, and the baiting of liberal men as so-called soy boys are all part of the (laughs) neo-Nazi messaging. (laughs) To say you care about animals is considered a sign of weakness in a world still committed to the gender binary. Meat eaters like anti-abortionists have forgotten that one quality of non-existence is not having awareness about existence. When all else fails, meat eaters assert that animals are not our equals. I heard all your laughter. I know some of these must be new ideas, or you think they're fringe or whatever. Our whiteness is part of the problem of meat eating. Uh, I'm not going to assume your gender. It's ugly. Just that, I can imagine the ugly things that go through your mind and the thoughts. I, I wouldn't want to live in your head for one minute. Very ugly. Do you go to work like that? Chad, how insensitive of you to think that I work. I mean, really, you th- I am a disabled American, and you think I can get up and go to work? I don't have that privilege. I want all of you to know, the, all of you that get up in the morning to an alarm clock, and you guys have the privilege to actually get up and take a shower and get in your car and go to work, do you have any idea what a privilege that is? Any idea, really? And then you're going to sit here and say, I bet you don't even have a job. Well, of course I don't. I'm disabled. And really, and how insensitive of you to point that out. And you actually, you come here and you, I mean, this is rich. You actually come to a disabled woman's live feed and you you mention employment and work. Excuse me, I don't have the privilege of waking up to an alarm clock at 4 a.m. and driving to Los Angeles and working a shift and then coming home. I don't have that luxury of earning my own money. You make me sick.
Well, hello to my fellow meat eaters out there. You're all racist for eating meat, Except and for you're today. all uh, and you're all you're all sexist for having jobs. <laughs> well, we, meat eaters is for today, right, guys? That's it. Right, right. <laughs> oh my goodness! Four in the morning. We have an action-packed rundown to talk about. We're going to be talking about the uh, truckers up in Canada. We have four videos to get to for that, including one from Jen Psaki, the genius working in the White House. Fauci on the fourth shot in the United States, his opinion on that. CNN's chief is out. Zucker is out. He is ousted. And uh, you're not going to believe what that news network is reporting now on masks. And we have a really great lineup for our I Can't Breathe segment, as well as our public school is a mortal sin segment. We always have those two <laughs> segments, and we have to get to the Which one do you guys – Ryan, which one do you want to do first? You look you look like you're the youngest on the chat now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. You also given that I'm the oldest. Um, let's, let's go up to our uh, neighborinos to the north and see what All they're up right. to. All right. Let's, let's check in with them. Okay, the first video that I want to show you from – from the truckers is the police stealing firewood from the truckers stealing their firewood what's next they're going to take their boots James, they're literally taking their firewood. They're like, yo, you can't have this. Are they going to take their blankies? Are they going to take their pants? Are they going to take their undergarments? Like, what? I, how is this even a thing? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's pretty It's pretty much uh, the narrative. And now they're really seeing what socialism is all about, right? You know, they, they thought in the beginning, oh, you know, uh, national health uh, is a great thing. You know, we're all getting taken care of. But now under the, when the mask has been pulled away, this is really what they're hoping happens uh uh that uh, we all sort of crumble at their feet and uh and plead for our freedoms back but the people who are experiencing this those of us watching from here and of course the canadians who are in that situation are starting to see how their government really thinks about them i mean they i mean you show the video of them taking away the firewood they also took away their uh, fuel you know they they banned uh you know the uh, public carrying of jerry cans you know so you, you can't have uh, a jerry can in your hand yeah, it, it, it's really it's really absurd, you know, and uh, you know that's kind of where we are. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and and what's so shocking about this is, you know, you look at it and you say, what right do they have to take your personal property, your firewood? I mean, like that's this, like 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 they're trying to make it harder for you to honk your horns, brother Martin. Um, but what right does the Canadian police have to take your firewood? Like that's that 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 risks your life. It's February in Canada. <laughs> it's cold. Exactly. This isn't just anywhere. This is Canada. But the one right they have, I guess, isn't a nat. A, it isn't a divine right. It isn't a natural right. It's a civil right in the sense that all you, the government has to do to change theft into confiscation is to change the law according to their own political agenda. And all of a sudden, theft, stealing your firewood, firewood, all of, all of a sudden becomes confiscation. 
civil law enforcement goes in and just takes your firewood completely mm-hmm. and totally legally firewood that you yourself purchase for your own uh, to, to sustain your own life. I yeah. mean, this is it's, it's similar to food in that sense. It's a sustained life. And so that's all it is, is, is that these Canadians apparently um, through the process of the, how the government works have trusted this group of people to legislate laws concerning these, these vital matters. And this is how it ends up. So it isn't like you can play with communism. It's like playing with fire. You know, you're as a kid, you're always warned about playing with fire because you could eventually burn yourself. Same thing wow. with communism, socialism. You play with fire, you get burned. Here it is. Play with socialism and you get burned, mm-hmm. Ryan. It looks like the people are rising up and they're trying to fuel the convoy. This is how they're doing it by hand. <laughs> I actually like this song. <clears throat> anyway, Ryan, um, what are we seeing here? Is this a popular? Uh, this is. I. I, I want to bring this into a debate, and I want to try to establish what the rundown thinks is happening up in Canada because I. I'm not of the same mind. I don't think as the three of you as to what we're witnessing, but. Tell me what you're seeing here with the firewood and with the with the with the fuel. Well, with the fuel, the most recent clip will go in backwards order. Um, that's the thing we've talked about becoming ungovernable. Just, just uh, really. Oh, you're going to say this? Well, we're going to do it ten times over. You can't arrest us all, and that's that's the way you have to respond to tyranny. And so, especially when it's things like, well, you can't have firewood to heat yourself, and you can't have gas to heat your trucks, and you can't have these things. Um, basically, is we're going to do what we can, kind of you know, passive aggressively to make you leave. And they're saying, no, we're not putting up with that. We're going to, you know, in your face, Trudeau and Ottawa police, we're going to do it, you know, double down. So that's, that's how you do it. You become ungovernable. And so in the first image, of course, like I said, the firewood, it's, it's part of this passive aggressive bit on the side of Trudeau, a little whiny, uh, which would a capital B, um, you know, (laughs) complaining, Oh, you truckers, why don't you just leave, please leave, you know, and um, you know, he's, demonize them in every way you possibly can. And so it, these are measures that they're, they're trying to take because they can't, they're not going for the, the harder measures, which they could take. Um, and I think I know where you're going with this, you know, the, namely, is this an authentic protest or are we just seeing yet another spectacle that's being produced? And, you know, like we, we've given a lot of support, you know, on, on the rundown in the past for, uh, you know, for the truckers and what's going on up there. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's, and I'm of two minds of it myself. On the one hand, I really like what I'm seeing. I'm liking seeing all these people protest, gridlock in the streets of capitals. Uh, you know, the government says, no, no, you guys need to disband. You need to go. No, we're gonna, we're gonna make life miserable for you. We're gonna stay until you end the stupid mandates. And then government doing these stupid little things. You know, I, I love seeing that. This is great. It's humiliating Trudeau, which is always a, a plus. But at the same time. Is it really organic? Let's look at the the other effect. And it, one, one thing it will, and of course the truckers will be blamed for it too. Uh, you know, is shelves in Canada. You think about trucking in a Western economy, uh, even in Europe, when you add trucking to rail, um, and if that stops, your grocery stores go empty. So think about the United States. If trucks stopped rolling on the ground, you will go to the store and you get those things you saw that were out for two weeks, 
novelty item you couldn't get because it's sitting off a barge somewhere outside of uh, California in the ocean waiting to unload, right? Well, no, now you're going to see whole aisles that are actually empty. It's going to look like the Soviet Union. And you know, I was talking about this in my predictions around the turn of the year, bread lines and all that sort of thing. Well, if the trucks stop rolling in the United States, that is absolutely what you will get because there are precious few areas that can survive on their own production. And even then, only barely. So and Canada is in a very similar situation. So I can imagine things are tightening and getting difficult for them. I mean, it has been anyway with government restrictions, which are far worse than anything we dealt with here. But at the same time, I, I, I do wonder, supply line shortages, all the stuff that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, who are, you know, just the front men, they're just the man, you know, the, the, the Oz uh, projection of the banksters who are behind the curtain. Yeah. They're the ones out there say, yeah, your supply lines are going to get shut down. We, you know, you're going to, there's going to be cyber terrorism. There's going to be all these things making it so you can't get food until you do what we, the technocrats want. That's right. You have to eat the bugs and you have to live in the pod. Right. James, uh, you know, I, I don't want to lean into every conspiracy that's out there, but uh, it just broke this week. And uh, like you and brother to react to this, this news, that one of the admins to a to a very prominent Facebook group, actually multiple Facebook groups with more than five hundred thousand people in them, pro truck drivers. It turns out that that account belonged to a woman in Missouri, and it turns out when you dig, you find out that this woman and her daughter have been claiming for a long time that her Facebook account has been hacked and stolen. So somebody is using the profile of a woman in Missouri to run Facebook group with a half a million people with tens of thousands of posts. Somebody's running that account. Who's running the account? I mean, look, I mean, it, here, here's the thing. I, and I don't, again, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, James, but one of the things that Kennedy Hall came on and said was this thing is running like a military operation. Well, yeah, it is running like a military operation. It's very organized. They have command and control. They have logistics. They have communications. Uh, you know, they, they have a very tight uh, control over what they're doing. It doesn't seem to be a January 6th style event, um, but, it, it, but it does seem to be something, something else. Am I, making, am I making too much out of nothing? You know, you have a legitimate concern, and it's such a concern that we all should have uh, today because we don't know exactly when a PSYOP is a PSYOP or when it's not. And so, it, you know, in regard to that uh, knowledge, uh, we, we have to be cautious. But um, I'm like Ryan. I sort of uh, am forced to play two sides of the coin here, you know. And, I'm of course, I'm aware that this might be uh, a potentially uh, rigged, rigged thing that's going on but you mentioned for instance uh how the the uh truck drivers are very organized very uh, military-like uh in, in their organization but you know the the other side of this is in fact uh truck drivers are that way you know they, they organize themselves that way they have cb radios communicate that way so it's kind of hard to tell you know uh, when you pull the mask off you know who are you going to see are you going to see this big sigh up uh you know, stand in stooge, or you're going to see, you know, a trucker with a mustache, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a very compelling uh, uh, question. I tend, because of the trend of this, to, to sort of uh, see that this might be more organic than not. We also know from my experience dealing with uh, uh, genuine grassroots tea party type events from 10 years ago, 
that yeah, it, it can be it can be infiltrated. Such an event like Occupy Wall Street started organically, but there was eventually, you know, uh, it became an inside job. You know, it was taken over. You know, uh, yeah. And so yeah, there are these concerns, and we we have to be. I mean, if Nancy Pelosi all of a sudden uh, can't get her hands on her twelve dollar you know, uh, pint-sized Jenny ice creams that she keeps in her fridge, you know, she might decide to, you know, pay attention, you know? So this might, this lockdown might, this lockdown then, uh, might end sooner than she, than, uh, she, uh, she's willing to uh, bet on. So, See, now I think, um, I think Brother Martin, I think that's what it comes down to. Once, once this trucker event starts to affect normal people, real people, uh, you know, people aren't going to, people aren't going to put up with it anymore. They're going to say, look, I can't get my Amazon Prime now. I can't get instant delivery from Whole Foods. You know, uh, this 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 has to stop. But but I do think um, on a serious note, though, aren't we playing into the hands of the globalists who do want food shortages, who do want supply shortages? Because one of the three tenets of communism, first first tenet, you, you separate a people from their roots from their identity second tenet you you place class classes against each other class warfare racial warfare whatever it is people versus people and then the third tenet is and this is how you really strike is you create economic pandemonium and then you show up and say i've got the answer i've got the solution and that's what communists do to take over a country so aren't we playing into their hands by just handing over our truck drivers and shutting down our supply lines I'm not. I'm not so sure. Only because I, what makes me not so sure is the fact that I see a Canada united, and a Canada against their current regime. So, in one sense, regarding the cons- the so-called conspiracy theory, is that this could be the CIA enacting another re- regime change in Canada, as it's done several times in Central America, in the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. So this could be a, a foreign. Uh, in, in, in the global scheme of things. So that's, that's one situation. Um, internally, I guess it could happen as well that the, the Canadian, uh, Canadian government just doesn't like Trudeau and so they, they encourage this as well. Um, but in, in, re- in regards to the communism, I, I think one thing that, that kind of says something against that is the fact that they, they do seem, the working class seem united against the idealism of the working class, which is communism. It's the working class rebelling against an ideology that is supposedly in favor of the working class. Um, so that, that's what kind of makes me pause a little bit in, in thinking that it is a communist psyop is, is the fact that they turn the class that they want to inspire to be for them actually against them. Um, so that's, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm patiently waiting to see, to see more, to, to reveal more in, in the near future. Well, here, here's what the white house is saying about the sporadic traffic events that's happening up in Canada. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Uh, so truckers in Canada uh, last night shut down the ambassador bridge, which carries about a quarter of us Canada trading goods. Um, so what's the administration's response uh, to this action and what steps are being taken to ensure the free flow of goods and also any preventative steps being taken to address a possible blockade on the Michigan side of that bridge? Well, let me first start by saying I know there's been some suggestion, not by reporters necessarily at all, but that uh, this congestion is related to the vaccine requirements. It's not. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying I'm going to get to the protests, but the protests uh, going on across Canada, which uh, have spread to a bridge, are leading to sporadic congestion and blockages. I would just to go back to my point I was trying to make is that um, across what we've seen with these requirements is across industry, a range of industries, vaccine vaccination requirements have been implemented with no 
disruptions have helped increase vaccinations. These requirements help protect more people from COVID, and there's been zero indication across these industries that they would lead to disruptions, including on this policy. Um, we, of course, support, as you know, the, the right to freedom of speech and protest, um, but we, and while we do see some of these congestion due to protests, it is clear that these disruptions have broadened in scope beyond the vaccine requirement implementation. Uh, we, beyond that, we are, of course, in touch with our Canadian counterparts, um, uh, but I don't have any updates in terms of specific steps. Now, it does look like this thing is spreading around the world in, in certain places. It looks like uh, here in uh, in the United States, something is forming. Um, here's some video of what's happening in France right now. Some part of France, I'm not sure. <laughs> Okay, that's super exciting, but it's also super annoying. Um, do we think that this, again, I, it's hard for me to look at it and say, oh, this is spontaneous, you know, this is just uh, spontaneous. But then again, I think your point, and I'll kick it back over to Ryan one more time. I think your point, um, James, is, is valid that truckers are just organized people. You know, they're handy people. They're, they tend to be, I mean, look, you keep it, you, you, you keep a tight driving schedule. You have to abide by very strict regulations about how much you can drive in a day, how far you can go, uh, how much rest period you have in between each thing. You, you, they're handy people. They fix their own trucks a lot of times. Um, they have their own CB radios. Um, they listen to a lot of talk radio. A lot of them are very conservative. Um, this is actually one of the one of the um, things that I. You know, you, you put something out on Twitter and you never know what's going to blow up. And this is one of the things that kind of went semi-viral. This idea that uh, that I said that uh, truck drivers, the, the, the reason why truck drivers are conservative is because they listen to talk radio. And there's something about the spoken word. There's something about auditory learners that makes them more conservative versus I think liberals are much more visual. And so it reminds you of, you know, Ryan, of the um, I think uh, I don't know what year it was, but it was the Nixon and Kennedy debates. And this was when half the country had a radio and half the country had a television, which was brand new. And the people who watched it on TV said Kennedy won. And the people who listened to it said that Nixon won. So right. maybe it is true that these are just organized, conservative, do it yourself, pull yourself up by the bootstraps type of people. And it's happening around the world. Mm -hmm. it, it was 1959. And there's a lot of truth in that particular principle. Um, <clears throat> what was his name? Uh, Alistair McIntyre, I believe. No, no, Marshall McLuhan. That's who I'm thinking of. Well, the McIntyre is important too. Uh, Marshall McLuhan. The media is the message, right? And and you think of the the style, like when you read books and how you take in ideas and how you take the time to read something and you look through a, a printed material and you take in what's there at a certain pace and then. Radio, radio changes that. Now you're listening, they're beaming this in and you're hearing it and then you're, you're listening to what's being said and you're taking it in and you're saying, hmm, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting this, I'm thinking about it. And then you have TV and now you have the ability to frame what's being said a little bit differently and you could skew it one way or another. 
toward particular factions, whether you agree with them or not, toward a particular idea, toward the truth, toward uh, an anti-truth, you know, towards toward falsity, it, depending on how that's done. And so TV, you know, sur- uh, bypasses a lot of your cognitive, uh, you know, powers in the brain. That's why TV has to be kept at arm's length. You know, you can indulge in it in a little bit for certain types of harmless things, but you have to always be thinking and conscious, wait, what are they trying to tell me here? Whether that's in your fiction, whether that's in your fantasy, whether that's in your TV news, whether that's in, you know, whatever kind of documentary you might be listening to. And I think that's one of the uh, the things that, that factors in. So why, you know, do all those truck or those people who listen to radio, why are they so much more conservative than the people who listen to TV? Because even the TV, Fox News, guess what? And we people finally woke up to that in 2020. I've been saying it since 2003. Fox News is just center right. It, it leans to the left, except in its opinion desk, which leads to kind of a little more right, but not really. People think it's hard right. It's not. And, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, but you're still watching media. You're watching the same car chases. You're watching the same, uh, you know, women with uh, uh, enlarged features uh, to... to you know, giving you the news so that you'll receive what they're saying without thinking about it. I think, you know, I think this is a good, this is a good, I'm going to bring Mrs. Mrs. C's comment in here. If you have a television in your house and you watch the rundown, I recommend ditching the TV, but um, giving up TV for Lent is not a bad idea. Um, you'd be surprised how much TV Americans watch even Catholics, even traditional Catholics. We need to, we need to, we need to get away from the TV. And anyone who says that we're the Catholic Fox News, yeah, I wouldn't watch them either. Um, by the way, okay, so I want to kick this back over to Ryan because we are going to talk about HIV. This is new thing. It's just, it's it's like HIV. It's like the 1980s called, and they want their pandemic back. The 1980s have called, and now even Prince Andrew. Is saying, make sure that you get tested for HIV. What the hell is going on, Ryan Grant? Unmute. You're muted. Okay, well, I've got four stories here that illustrate exactly what's going on. uh, And almost like a storyboard. So I'm going to share my screen. So first thing we have here. Professor Luc Montagnier, Nobel Prize recipient for the discovery of HIV and believer that HIV exists in the spike protein of the vaccines, has died. Now, this is interesting as he's, you know, he's the guy who discovered HIV. He's very big in, uh, you know, especially in the 80s. He was a very big fixture. Uh, also challenged Fauci in the 80s, it's worth noting. And uh, like Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test, who said back in 1999, Fauci is an idiot. Fauci is a liar. Fauci is incompetent. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I will debate him anywhere, unquote. Um, you know, Mullis, right before a uh, pandemic where they're going to feature the uh, PCR tests as the main vehicle driving the so-called pandemic, um, you know, that's, you know, he dies in a it's very suspicious car accident before anything could happen. Now, um, Montagnier is... He's, he's getting on, you know, he's in his 80s, late 80s, so it's entirely possible he just died of natural causes. Although it is rather convenient, because now we come up on this story. From Salon, a new HIV vaccine is in the phase one trials, but scientists aren't holding their breath just yet, but they're seeding the narrative. Notice the date, 4th February 2022. 
This is right now. There, wait, wait, all of a sudden, we've had Magic Johnson is still around, right? They've had treatments that allow you to live an extremely long and and you know prolific life with HIV. So why it, it's not a thing like it used to be? Who who here even hears about HIV anymore in the last ten years, right? And now it's a thing. All of a sudden, they've got a vaccine for it. Why? Let's move over here. Researchers discover HIV variant that's more contagious and more severe circulating in the Netherlands. Really? All of a sudden, after hiding since 1991, HIV is now everywhere. Um, you know, spreading is more contagious. Really, so everyone gets scared now. And now let's come over to uh, why is this? Why is all this happening? Let's go over to Forbes, not Alex Jones, not, uh, you know, Infowars, not wherever. Forbes, researchers warn some COVID-19 vaccines could increase risk of HIV infection. All right. And so, and that's October of 2020. That's way back. So put all these data points together. And now let's consider, uh, you know, the reality of this. It's it's probably what certain people opined is that uh, the jab uh, could potentially cause HIV or a similar type of virus. Or people have talked about um, aid, for example, um, and, and then, you know, ways in which it basically will destroy your immune system. Now, I would say if the numbers are correct, a good portion of the Western world, definitely a majority, has received at least one unholy sacrifice of the jab. And there, there's an uptick in autoimmune disorders, destroying people's immune system. Now they need the cover for it. Oh, see, look, it's AIDS, HIV, it's back. And you've got to get the new vaccine that we're going to be peddling, right? So they'll, they'll, that'll be the next stop before they run into full-out climate lockdowns. Because I think their internal polling has shown them most people do not want to lock down for the climate. They have not bought into the nonsense they've got. So they've got to stretch this out with something else. And the thing with the Dutch, too, is that I th- I think they are maybe the most vaxxed country in the world. Not not like the highest percentage vax, but the most number of vaccines that they were willing to go for. They they went for like six jabs, James. They went for, for four or five different boosters. And now suddenly everyone's immune system is compromised in the Netherlands. And they're saying that it's hiv there's one yeah. more one more thing that i want to throw into the conversation and i'll have i'll have uh, james and and brother react to it i remember this vividly i don't remember i don't know if everyone remembers this vividly but i remember vividly at the beginning of this pandemic that we're talking about hiv proteins being found within this novel covid 1984 virus and i don't know if we're allowed to say this on youtube right now you know you can say masks don't work now the one time I got in trouble with YouTube, I said masks don't work and they gave me a strike and they took my video down. I couldn't post and I was in YouTube timeout. I think you can say masks don't work now uh, because they don't. But uh, when it comes to the Dutch, James, th- there's this there's this this weird thing lurking inside of the virus. And all of those scientists who came out and said, hey, this thing is made from HIV. It's spliced with HIV. It's designed to be in your body forever. Those people have all gone away. They're not available anymore. They've been canceled. But I remember it. Do you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, I mean, to be quite honest, when I read that, I said, you know what? That's a little too far for us right now because it's got to be something else bigger than AIDS. You know, that's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, well, it can't be AIDS. It has to be something else. 
But now that this is uh, coming out more, it's it's fascinating. And to Ryan's point uh, on the news of Magic Johnson, here's what immediately came to my mind is we have Magic Johnson out there being basically pushed out there uh, in front of Governor Newsom as though they're trying to put it in our memory or, you know, hey, this is a man with AIDS. He's still living a functioning life and he's been living this way for you know, uh, 20, 20 years with this thing. So it's, it's a mad, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, juxtaposition, you know, here's Magic Johnson. And now this news is coming out that, uh, the, the vaccine may be tainted with, uh, you know, spike protein that could, uh, basically give AIDS. It's very, very curious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's curious, uh, brother Martin, you know, you're the youngest on, the chat so it's 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 hard for me to cut over to you and say hey do you remember the aids epidemic and the (laughs) hiv thing um you know i i think that hiv aids is is probably a very just punishment for certain sins that cry out for vengeance those types of sins don't result in uh, the the procreation of life and those types of sins are by their nature sterile and um, and now for the first time ever, this is on Drudge Report today, Brother Martin, more hetero people are supposedly testing positive for HIV than, uh, shall we say, the drama queens of the world. And, uh, and that's never happened before. So I don't know if it's real. And I and I doubt that it is, but I think it's related either to the jab or to the man-made virus. Uh, or it's some other cover to cover for the fact, Brother Martin, that in Great Britain, in their leading newspaper, they say, don't shovel snow anymore, because if you do, it might cause a heart attack. Just don't exert yourself. It could be any of those. Plus, I would also include the fact that uh, thing. In general, statistically across the world, there are, there are fewer marriages, except maybe for for Hungary because they're enacting policies that promote it. But there are fewer marriages. Um, but the culture in itself is inclined uh, to still pursue the pleasures of the of the marital act, the act that's reserved specifically for marriage, but outside of marriage. Um, and we know that a lot of secularists, I mean, especially in elementary schools, we hear stories about them going into elementary schools and promoting. Uh, the act of sodomy in elementary schools, you know, giving them tips on how to how to how to do such a thing. Uh, I think now, especially younger generation, generations younger than me, are growing up with the idea that they could possibly, um, I don't know, uh, do something that they could still contract the same virus um, that previously mm-hmm. was was known mm-hmm. as exclusively for uh, homosexual couples, but now is is still is expanding itself to even heterosexual couples. So I think that should also be thrown into the mix is the fact that the, the culture in that regard has, has, has drastically changed. Now th- I think that's an interesting point, Ryan. I think that's a very interesting point because what we know about HIV is that it's, it's generally, you know, uh, the types of people who would work at a fake news organization, but, uh, but notwithstanding that fact, it's, it, it compromises your immune system. And what we have seen and we'll get to this in the I Can't Breathe segment when we bring on our special guest, Jeremiah, who's joining us here in about 20 minutes, is that people who are otherwise the top athletes in the world, who have uh, 
the best immune systems, presumably, that you can have, and they're dropping dead on the field. So they have to come up with some explanation for this, right? Is this their attempt to come up with that explanation? ...to explain it. And if we, uh, if we look at... Um, you know, some of the, what they've been trying to do, they've been trying to say, oh no, uh, it's not a really a big problem. Don't, don't look here. Once it became undeniable and it's like, well, it might be caused by adding in uh, some stupid thing here and there. Oh, well, they're breakfast cereals. Maybe they're eating the wrong breakfast cereals or things that in themselves are not good for you, but they're not going to cause you to have a heart attack. All right. Uh, at 22 at the, at the top of your health, when you just recently received, uh, by, you know, because you had to, some uh, medical, ex experimental medical treatments uh, that shan't be named. So mm -hmm. this is the one thing that covers everything because it's not just the athletes. It's also children as young as five or even younger, if I've understood, where it's, it's, it's unheard of. And now you have like a 5,000% increase in, in, in children that, um, you know, are having heart, heart attacks. Myocarditis is unknown in children. It's, it's only very rare conditions caused by, you know, some strange thing. And now it's suddenly seen everywhere. What is that telling us? There's something wrong with something that everyone is being forced to get. Yeah. And that is, and so this becomes, it can now become the meta narrative to cover it all. Oh, see, all these athletes are getting it because of HIV. And then, uh, well, what about kids that are getting it? Oh, parents are passing it on to them because they, uh, you know, committed heterosexual sodomy with somebody at some point. And that's what caused it. If that's what they're going to go for to <laughs> to explain it, but yeah, right. Um, here's a video that I've been holding on to for several weeks. It hasn't come up. We're talking about uh, you know Western medicine, and we're talking about virology. I want to bring this video in. This is a functional uh, medicine doctor who has a PhD, I think, in either psychology or or, or um, psychiatry. And he is shouted down by other people as being like a fake doctor because he actually wants to treat the cause of diseases, um, not just their symptoms. There are many studies which show that high-protein diets do not affect kidney function. There are no studies interventionally that show that eating meat is going to increase the risk of any single cancer. There are no risks to eating the foods that we have been eating as humans for our entire existence. As an attorney, I would ask you, you're a medical doctor, is that correct? Absolutely. And you are a psychiatrist, am right, I correct? Right, a residency in psychiatry. So what do you know about nutrition? What is Where any... did you gain your background in nutrition? Listen, this is, I think... No, is you a... listen to me and answer my question. Now I'm asking you I'm... to tell us where your background emanates from. I went to medical school, and I studied nutrition in medical school, yeah. and I studied nutrition independently. One of the crazy things about medical school is that it teaches you how to read articles. I'm a doctor. I know how to read articles. So have you I know done how to any read the independent literature. testing? Have you written any articles that was as suggested by the physicians who've been here today? What does writing articles have to do with my well, knowledge? Well, because I could become you. I could be you as an expert because I read all of the data and all of the um, articles on this subject. Now I'm an expert? That doesn't make me an expert. With and the I proper background and with the medical training, like, medicine needs to think about teaching doctors more nutrition in medical school. But it is up to us to educate ourselves. Just because there's a degree that says a doctor doesn't mean that we have or don't have medical nutritional knowledge. The bottom line fair. is you practice psychiatry. Am I correct? I practice medicine. I you think practice the, psychiatry. I is practice that correct? I practice medicine. So what makes you an expert in this? 
because an expert in what? An expert in understanding human physiology? This is medicine. The separation of humans into organ systems doesn't serve the patient. To say that because I'm a psychiatrist, I don't know about nutrition is a completely... I didn't say that. That's Your what you were inferring. Is That's what you mind. were inferring. Well, where does the inflammation come from that causes depression and anxiety? It comes from the body. It doesn't come from the brain. It's a scary thought process that is all you need to do is read articles to make you an expert. I want to know what kind of testing you've done, what kind of data you have, what you yourself have found regarding these issues. I'm not sure. Other than what reliance is on other people. I'm not sure I understand your question because that's how anyone... You don't want to listen to my question because you know I'm right. No, you're wrong. Can I ask you a question? What? She is wrong, and that's not how it works. The fact is, one, psychology... Uh, at least when it's carried out legitimately, it has to examine the full health of the body because the brain is not in this little vacuum out here and the body, this other little vacuum down here and the two are not connected, right? So to completely blast the guy, well, you're just a psychologist. What do you know about anything? And one, I mean, the fact is he, he also is an MD. Right? He went to medical school. He didn't just go, you know, his concentration psychology. He obviously had to do a lot more schooling to get both. But the fact is that testing and running experiments doesn't mean you understand how to do things clinically. Uh, medical testing and, and the research that goes into uh, churning out studies and so many other things, that's only one facet of things. That's what you know the PhDs do. That's what the medical researchers do. On the flip side are the clinical physicians, the people who are supposed to be treating people, the people who notice, oh, I give this and I get these results and I give this and I give these results. They're not doing the testing but they're seeing the results on the ground. And when the two come together, that's when you have a functioning medical system that can actually get, you know, postulate things, test them, give out medicine and get results. (laughs) And I I won't, I won't ask you at all. I won't ask you to opine at all on the testing that has gone into the experimental serums that they are now mandating. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we're not allowed to ask those questions at all. But I just I thought this was an interesting one, James, because, you know, our our reliance on on, you know, so-called Western medicine and even virology, you're a kook if you question it. If you talk about things like terrain theory, if you question whether or not, you know, actual viruses exist or whether or not they're just excretions from your cells that are under duress for other things like so you know for example 5G or you know if you if you point out James that there has been a global pandemic every time that there has been a leap in radiomagnetic science so when we go to radio when we go to radar when we go to microwave when we go to 5G all of a sudden, every single time we do that, we have a pandemic. If you point that out, there's something wrong with you, James, and you are a kook. And you're muted. You're a kook. You're a muted kook. There's something wrong with you, Mike. You are a kook. <laughs> no. Um, you have some points there, you know, uh, whether or not we're going to see people talking about the true correlation of these uh, historical events uh, with uh, people getting sick or, or not. I mean, it may not even happen in our lifetime, you know, but uh, whenever people do bring something like that to the forefront, they're immediately uh, laughed at and uh, pulled off, pulled off camera and canceled, you know, I, and I hate having to bring up Alex, Alex Jones here, but of course he's that, uh, you know, uh, a figure who, you know, we all we all know he's been around for a while, but he's been talking about that, whether or not 
he's really, uh, you know, uh, controlled opposition or not, you know, he's he's been around for that long saying the things that people uh, hear and immediately point and say, ah, you're one of those Alex Jones uh, uh, listeners. And to Ryan's point last week, yeah, you know, you mentioned Alex Jones and then everybody points, <laughs> right. points points and laughs and that and is that the point you know you know is is that because uh you know he's doing what he's supposed to be doing which is uh canceling the subject because you mention you tag his name to any subject and you're immediately pushed aside so yeah very good very good points there um i mean we're being run by american medical association that uh people that have been discredited in themselves you know by the fact that they don't even let real medicine be practiced today you know, and uh, mm -hmm. how many people, how many pe people know that? I, I have a friend, you know, who gave birth today, you know, couldn't let, couldn't see his, uh, his child because they wanted the, <laughs> they wanted the child to be vaxxed, you know, to the max or, you know, hey, you know, how dare you have uh, COVID and give COVID to, you know, and potentially endanger the life of your child, you know, and uh, so th th there's not real medicine being practiced. It's just tyranny. They want to know that you are in their control. And that's really all they care about. Can, can I just ask you a quick question? Are whose mansion are you in right now? <laughs> well, this is the uh, this is the paycheck that, from the rundown that came last week. I, that's I really a, yeah. <laughs> uh, we get we get more views than fake news does. Right. We get more right. live viewers, right. and exactly. uh, it's yeah. pretty lucrative business. This whole it podcasting is. thing. <laughs> you guys out there in the rundown audience, you should look into <laughs> podcasting. It's Absolutely. it's a pretty lucrative business. Absolutely, and, and you should, I've been told and you that tell. anyway. I've I've seen articles <laughs> about how lucrative it is. I don't know. And you can tell by uh, Mike's background uh, there that uh, he's basically writing the entire check to me and not keeping any. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, so here, so here's what happened. Honestly, here's what happened. I broke the door into my little underground catacombs basement. I literally broke the door ten minutes before the show. Oh wow! And I couldn't get in. And so I am holed up in like an attic right now. I can't it's, stand up. Like this is like it, right? this is the ceiling right here. I cannot. Seems like I, you're crouched. Yeah. I can't stand up. And I, I, hit my head. I this is where I am. Um, yeah. So I'm in a similar anyway. that I'm in what they call the crow's nest at my local cigar lounge. It's actually where the owner sits and works. And so I busted um, right away. They got a little sound canceller for that gets rid of uh, three quarters of the sound. And so, because I was in here getting a small little cigar, and like, dang, I got to, I got to do a podcast, and it's so wonderful. I love this podcast, but I can't smoke because I have to work in my office, and part of my my um, my lease is I can't smoke. And so, and of course, the owner he likes cigars. It's just it's a professional building. He can't let me smoke. So it's like, well, they, hey, we'll let you sit up here, but you know, I, I can touch the <laughs> Same thing for you. So, so, so everyone knows Ryan is in a public place right now. So if you hear people enjoying themselves right. uh, who are not on the rundown, it's coming in through Ryan's audio. I'm trying to mute in between my, my game. No, and I, I know. And I appreciate that. And to be honest, I would trade places with you because I'm like in, I'm, I'm where a hobbit should live. I can't <laughs> stand up where I am right now. Speaking of which, I pulled off my first live stream last night without blowing up the entire stream. So if you're interested, it was on Census Fidelium on Lord of the Rings on the uh, 20th anniversary of the films and the books. And of course, and of course, some of the book lore. And then, of course, the foreboding about what uh, the Bezos zombified version is going to bring out next year. 
And so you can find that on Census Fidelium. Um, I think it just goes by Lord of the Rings, book, film, Catholicism, or something like that. Now, now, in, in the interest of uh, equal time, you'll have to go on Census Fidelium and mention that you mentioned it on the rundown last week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we are equal opportunity grifters here at Restoring the Faith. Uh, we allow we 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 don't think that it's a fixed pie, and it's a zero sum game, and you just have to steal the audience from the other people. We think more is more here at RTF. Uh, so there, the more, the better. Um, okay, we're we're about to be joined by a guest, and before we do that, we'll do a one quick story. Uh, no, he's here. Jeremiah is in the house. Welcome, Jeremiah Harrison. He is the creator of Liturgy of the Home. It's a set of posters that I've been tweeting about almost incessantly, and uh, many of you are in receipt of as well. Jeremiah, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Good to be here. Can y'all hear me? Am I muted? Oh, we got you. There you go. <laughs> oh, good, good. Welcome. I think I might be in the biggest room of all of you guys here. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> this are you is doubting the, the uh, yeah? Are you doubting the authenticity of my uh, the, the uh, authenticity of my? It sounds like he's calling well, you a liar, James. You know, James. <laughs> therefore, he's a racist. So I can see the fuzz. You know, the fuzz around your head. That's the green screen effect. Oh, drats. <laughs> but it's really a pleasure to be here. I've watched so many of the shows, you guys. I don't know if, how many of you guys have seen uh, what what my wife and I have been up to with our calendars, but uh, I really Why enjoyed. Why don't you share? Can you share your screen? Can you tell us about the calendar? Yeah, I yeah, am. We... I am one of the most. I am one of the happiest customers, and I have so many questions for you about the liturgical year, about your personal journey with it, and about how it cured you of the error of Novus Ordoism. Just studying the 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 liturgical calendar so um you'll pull you'll pull up your screen here you can go to liturgy of the home dot is it dot com or dot org dot com yep liturgy of the home dot com i did that i ordered the posters these are beautiful posters we're about to show them to you and uh by the way you're, there's, people are saying that your fireplace looks fake jeremiah i don't want to yes okay it is no this isn't my real fireplace this is a heater uh -huh. I'm actually in the studio yes yeah, so it is fake yes i know it's true, it's true. <laughs> uh but pull it pull it up seriously oh here oh you have oh i have yeah. here, here we go there we go see i'm actually we're showing the septuagesimate calendar but just to give a little background uh, this started a couple years ago when my wife um you know we have five small children and my wife's, we live next to the Clear Creek Abbey and the monks of the Abbey, everything they do is just so infused with the liturgy and living liturgical year. And we love being able to be nearby, but at the same time, there's also a struggle to be as connected as, as we want to be. And, you know, there, there really aren't a lot of resources out there for the, the traditional calendar. And so I uh, remember one of my, my wife's favorite authors, uh, Tommy DiPaolo, he, he made a little something for an Easter calendar. And we've seen a, a few bits here and there. And I, probably a lot of you out there know a Lent calendar that you put up and you can move, you know, move across the days. But my wife wanted to make something more. And it, what you're seeing here is actually the, the Septuagesima calendar, which so we, we've, uh, there's a lot that's happened since we started this project. You know, it first started with just black and white drawings and it's grown into, into this in time. And it's become, you know, my wife was illustrated first, but now she's drawn her sisters in. And so the four of us are basically, we're trying to make beautiful things that families can use in a home to bring, to bring the liturgical year to life. 
And so this, uh, this is the Septuagesima calendar. And, and the other, other important part is that we got linked up with Sophia Publishing, which they actually contacted us, which was really a, a God thing. Uh, I, was, you know, I was wanting to find a way to get published. We were just initially making these and uh, selling just the digital files and families would uh, print them out themselves. But eventually yeah. we got hooked up with uh, Sophia Press and they graciously wanted to you know, get these published and into people's homes. So we, the Lord has opened doors, but basically we're just trying to make something beautiful that can help families stay more connected to liturgy. And it's really made an impact on our family too, both just doing this work, but then also what this is, what's come from this. So it's, it's been quite a journey and it's funny. I've, uh, you know, I've lived here next to the monastery. Oh, over 10 years now. 12 years. And when I first came, you know, I never really knew a lot. Uh, I'm a convert. So I've only, I've been in the faith since I was 22. I'm 38 now. Whoa, was- whoa. I did not know you were a convert. And by the way, I heard on YouTube just yesterday on a live stream that if you're a convert, you're not a real Catholic and you're not to be trusted and you're a danger to the faith. Uh, really? maybe I should throw, maybe I should burn my calendars according to the dude, bro, <laughs> the skater punk. Most tried yeah. Catholics, most tried Catholics are converts from Novus Ordo, Novus Ordoism. So anyway, we're all converts. <laughs> true, true, yeah. speak, true speak. I guess that, well, you know, it's funny thing. So when I first came to the church, my first exposure was actually to a Latin mass. The family I got to know, they regularly attended the adult mass down in Houston, Texas. And so I, I experienced the, the traditional mass at first, but I also experienced Novus Ordo. And I remember for the first couple of years, just wondering, um, it felt kind of odd. I didn't really give a lot of thought to it until I came out here and experienced the monks. And when I experienced the liturgy, when I experienced the chant, it just blew my mind. And over the next couple of years, I began to learn more and more about what all has gone on in, in the church. And uh, mm-hmm. it's been quite a, quite a journey. And then up, up until today, and this, this is actually one of my favorite parts right here. This is the Lent calendar. So, so these calendars, where you know my wife's drawing them, she's got her sisters helping illustrate them. The idea is you put these up in your home, and with these on your wall, you sort of you never forget a saint's feast day. And also, she's endeavored to weave theology in around the frames. You know, she very the, the imagery here is really inspired by trying to pull from medieval art, from Eastern art, from Western art. You'll see elements of Eastern icons that my wife's following, but also Western art. But like this is a really good example. This is the for Lent too. So for the end of Lent, for the Triduum and Holy Week, this is what my wife came up with after a day of retreat uh, with the, near the monastery. And I just think it's beautiful, but you have so many different elements here. It's the idea is for see, my wife's making these thinking of children and she wants the kids to look at this and just ask questions where she's trying to inspire wonder. And when you look at so many of the, uh, you, when you look at the art, the beautiful art of the church, it does inspire that wonder. And really all this is, is my wife has kind of compiled masters of art far greater than her and kind of brought it together to in a kind of a folk format. But you can see here the different you know symbols here, the, the candles of Tenebrae from the office of Tenebrae. Mm. You have the altar repose that the monks do, you know, after Holy Thursday. So there, there's just, when you walk through the calendars, it's designed to, to, to make you wonder and to make you want to ask questions to go deeper into the faith, learn about these saints we're just trying to find ways to make the, the liturgical year more alive. No, these things are beautiful. I have to say, I, I love them. I have it framed. And uh, what I do is I, I just change it out. What's what's in the frame per, uh, per the month. Um, but I, I am so pleased with the purchase. 
Um, and yes, Christine, I actually did pay cash uh, for the calendars. But um, so uh, can we talk a little bit just about um, and uh, let's go around the horn a little bit. But Jeremiah, you were telling me on the phone one day that once you really delved into the liturgical year, especially Dom Garen J., um, you realize there's no going back um, and there's no there's no compromise with uh, with new church, with the church of the age of Aquarius. There's there's too many things that have been dispensed with that make me wonder, like, like for example, just take Epiphany. You know, so as I've dove, dove into Dom Garanger and, you know, slowly coming to understand how the church here is structured, the, the significance of January 6th on Epiphany is really important. I mean, tradition, my understanding, tradition holds that on January the 6th, the wise men came, you know, to our Lord. But also on January the 6th, our Lord was baptized. And then in another year, our Lord on January the 6th, the wedding feast of Cana. And there's, so there's meaning to these dates and times. But in the new calendar, it's just pushed to the nearest Sunday. That destroys the 12 days of Christmas that there's, there's too much that's broken by that. And I'm like, why? Wait a minute. And that's only one thing. And there's, there's those like splinters in the mind, you know, you start digging, wait, what's going on here? And, uh, and and so, and that's an interesting one too, James, because we showed a video last week of Bishop uh, Filet of the uh, Society of St. Pius X who made that exact point. He said that Epiphany is actually an older feast than the Feast of Christmas. And for you to just take Epiphany and just dump it on the nearest Sunday, um, you know, it's it's not right. And you're, and you're still muted on Epiphany! There we go. Unmuted now. No, um, it, it's a it's a huge uh, concern, and Archbishop Fillet is absolutely right. A anybody who makes the leap from uh, Novus Ordoism into the traditional church, I mean, one of the first things that is uh, mind-boggling is these changes that uh, appear on the calendar and sort of the, the the muting of special feasts. I mean, a big one for me was Saint uh, Philomena. Uh, that was a really huge one for me, and I just I couldn't for the life of me imagine why such uh, you know, there's the cult, there's a huge cult around the, uh, around the uh, sanctity, around the miracles of St. Philomena. And I could not wrap my mind around any plausible reason why uh, she would be taken off. And I think, I think when I made that realization, I just knew there was so much that had been lost. And if not just St. Philomena, obviously there's so, so much more. So we, we can't, as a universal church, really enjoy and bring to birth uh, in our homes that experience of living uh, year-round in, in yeah. that enjoyment of the communion of saints, knowing what's there and growing to learn, you know. And uh, it's a huge loss. And something like this that Jeremiah is doing uh, sort of makes it easier and a lot more uh, accessible to really sort of delve into what the church uh, has given to us, you know, it's, it's a, it's a gift. And so I'm, oh, I'm totally happy to agreed. see something like that is out there. Totally agreed. And I, I want to throw this either to brother or Ryan or both, if you guys want to jump on it or, or give it a pass. But, you know, one of the other things that Dom Garam J who I think will, uh, I don't know if he's a doctor of the church. Um, uh, should un be undeclared, right. Should be. Uh, but, 
but he's he's certainly somebody that is an absolute expert in his field, in his field of the of the liturgical year, the calendar of the church. He says about low Sunday, Quasimoto Sunday, the Sunday immediately following Easter, the octave of Easter, that it can take no name ever. It can be it can never be renamed. It can never be repurposed. It can never be anything but the octave of Easter. And in the new church, they did just that. They changed the name. They added a new thing. Uh, And in fact, they added a new thing, a new novena, which starts you thinking about the joy of Easter and the joy of Christ's mercy and salvation on Good Friday. It absolutely, the new religion destroys the Holy Triduum. And Dom Garanger is very serious about Quasimodo Sunday. Brother Martin. Oh, sure. You can think that he could, I mean, John Paul II adding a name to Low Sunday, Quasimodo Sunday, uh, the first Sunday after Easter. What was kind of, I don't know, he did it with a nuance in the sense that all the liturgical propers of that Sunday remain completely and totally the same. Like the, the entrance antiphon of the Novus Ordo begins with Quasimodo, which is where we get the term Quasimodo Sunday uh, from the first words of, of the intro to the Mass. Um, but nonetheless, you're right. There's a certain devotion attached to it, which is kind of unique in the sense that um, typically Sundays aren't, devotions aren't, aren't stapled to Sundays or stapled to another day of the week. For instance, the Sacred Heart um, is on a, uh, on a day other than Sunday. Uh, Corpus Christi is on a day other than Sunday. All these, all these devotions that came later on in the church are on days other than Sundays. Uh, Sundays were Sundays. Um, but Divine Mercy is particularly the devotion that's kind of enforced on all of the laity bec- or in the Roman Rite precisely because it's on a Sunday. So if you don't particularly have a devotion to this devotion, for instance, and you show up to your Novus Ordo Mass on Sunday, you're most likely going to hear a homily about this Sunday, and it's going to... Uh, pretend that this the Sunday is all about divine mercy because one, the ant- entrance antiphon is often omitted. Um, you don't have the liturgical propers in front of you. you. You hear them audibly, but you don't always hear them because of that. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, more beneficial to have an alternate in front of you so you can actually read along. Um, but it, it does. It, it, it kind of, uh, it makes you believe that the Sunday has been replaced when really it's not. It's just been giving you a different name and attached a side devotion. So um, it's, it's, it's kind of just like a, you know, when someone just hits you in the back of the knee and it kind of makes you fall. That's, that's what I feel what happens on, on Quasimodo Sunday is, is the fact that they're not, they didn't really change a Sunday, but, but they gave you something, but they basically replaced it you know, in, in practice. Yeah. Jeremiah, tell us a little bit about how uh, in, in, your, in your experience, you had, you had intended to do the illustrations, the beautiful illustrations for the new calendar. And then you realize it just can't be done. It's just not possible. Well, you know, it's funny. This thing started old calendar all the way. It was interesting. So, you know, the monk, even the monks at Clear Creek, they do a kind of a hybrid between the old and new. They do, uh, I think it's the 1965, they do the old sanctoral cycle, I'm sorry, the old temporal cycle with the, with the new sanctoral cycle. We really didn't even know a lot about that. I, I can't, I don't even remember why we started with, with the traditional calendar. I guess, I guess that would be it because we are already so rooted in the old 
cycle. And we, we've been lovers of Dom Guéranger for when my wife and I got married 10 years ago, a, a, a gift, a wedding gift that we got was the whole set. And so I'd not read through them all, but I'd read through them. And every time I picked up any of Dom Guéranger, it was just, it blew my mind. He's just is so deep and beautiful, rich. But we started with the old calendar. And then as we, as we went along, we started getting requests for, uh, for the new calendar. And that's when we had to start asking ourselves, wait a minute, can we do this? Can we do this? I, 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 and, and it doesn't fit. Like when you see here on your screen, the Septuagesima calendar, this whole season doesn't exist on the new calendar. Mm-hmm. And as we develop, you see, you have to realize my wife sort of, uh, we developed together this um, symbolism, this sort of symbolic language from, from studying and looking at beautiful medieval art. So we began to try to develop themes and reasons why things are a certain way. Like, for example, you'll see here, this is kind of like a wood carving. This is the header piece of Septuagesima. It's meant to be a, a color of wood, like a light color of wood. That's meant to be to like a preparation. We're about to enter into the season of Lent. So the sort of wood and the stone you see here, it's it's a transition from the joys of Christmas, which the previous calendar I, I don't have right now, which was uh, Epiphany Christmas, was sort of gold and brilliant gold. And then you you move into Lent, this sort of dark wood. We're trying to, I mean, really this whole project is we're trying to make an illustrated companion to Don Guéranger. Because when you read Guéranger, you, you, you get the sense of how infused everything is. And when you look at the new calendar, it just, it, it's, it, it's missing so much. I, it's funny. So Dr. Kwasniewski, he was talking about our calendars at, at one of his talks he gave, and he said he didn't think that something like this could be made for the new calendar. And honestly, I agree. I mean, for example, here's the Ember Tide. On all four times of the year, we have the Ember, Ember Days illustrated. Those don't exist. Ordinary time. I mean, how would you draw ordinary time? I mean, that that well, that's one of the most jarring things for me is this this uh, learning from the calendar that all all of the Christian year is based on the principal cardinal feasts of the Christian faith, and so time mm-hmm. is reckoned by time after Pentecost. You know, the, the time of Easter tide, Epiphany tide. All of that sort of replaced by this ordinary time. So I, we just can't do it. I mean, you know, people have asked this, and I've. I've given diplomatic answers, but you know, here on the rundown, y'all are y'all are getting the the real the, the real. The yeah. We just can't do it. We go. We tell the truth on the rundown, and that's why we cut straight to the chase. Ryan, Septuagesima, it, it doesn't exist in the new calendar. It's a very important season. We're burying the Alleluia on Sunday. I mean, this is Saturday. real. Precisely. Actually, we bury the Alleluia on Saturday at yep. noon, the very last of the Ore Minore, and then. Uh, the order minorities, and then, um, and that's it. And then you go to Vespers, and then you, you replace the Alleluia with the uh, um, last TV. Uh, Domine Rex Eterni Gloria. Yeah, it, so that that's that's what will be in place now until uh, Easter when the Alleluia returns. So it's like saying goodbye to an old friend. Now, interestingly, so the Novus Ordo gets rid of Septuagesima, and I, I don't even know. I don't remember. Uh, I, Years years ago, I read Bunini's memoirs probably 20, 20 years ago when I became more of a convinced trad. So, you know, that it was, I can't remember specifically what he said about Septuagesima type, but the reality is that the, the claim for the Novus Ordo is, oh, this is the liturgy of the ancient church. This is the this is all ancient. This is all early, replaces all the medieval stuff. That's the notion people have in their heads. And absolutely, every last aspect of that is false, every single one. And, and it's easy to back up documentary wise in every way and and so 
Septuagesim is one of those very clear ones that, so certainly in the fourth century, they did not have a season of Septuagesim. St. Benedict is not acquainted with it, for example, in his rule, but people did begin to fast at the, you know, the 70th, 70th day before Easter on that Sunday. And so that eventually became its liturgical season, and we can trace it in the 7th century and the 8th century as a formal season. When does Advent show up as a liturgical season? Advent doesn't appear till the 11th century as a liturgical season. So now in the Novus Ordo, you have Advent, of course, and you have blessings of Advent wreaths and all that. The blessing of Advent wreath is post-Vatican II. Advent wreaths were one of those things that were tolerated in the church prior to Vatican II, but there was no formal rite of the whole thing. It actually came originally from Lutherans. It was something Catholics said, hey, it's good, we can use it, but it didn't have a formal place. Then you get the Novus Ordo, so now it's got a formal place. This is new. Septuagesima, on the other hand, which is ancient, if anything's ancient. I'm sorry, six, how ancient do you have to go to be ancient? Sixth, seventh century, and it's not there. But Advent, which is clearly medieval, late medieval, you know, or, you know middle, middle ages, 11th century, that is somehow, th th that's in there in this now ancient restored missile, which it's not. So, I mean, that's just one, of, and we're coming on that on Sunday. Thanks be to God. And what is that? That preparation to enter in. You're not at Lent yet, but you need to start thinking about it. And in the ancient practice of the church, you know, Septuagesima week was a time to prepare yourself spiritually, because then on yeah. Sexagesima day, on the east, that's Meat Fair Sunday, and that's when the ancient tradition, you started abstaining from meat. Before Lent's even started, you're abstaining from flesh meat. And then the Quinquagesima happens, that's signaling the beginning of Lent the next week, or more, again, your pre-Lent, because your first Sunday of Lent actually formally starts Lent. Well, and, and this so, is the whole thing. And and, and oh, for, for those who are watching who are not, like, you know, hardcore trads or full-time trads or whatever, you know, Septua means seven. You're seven weeks out from easter which actually uh, septuagesima is 70 yeah 70, 70 yeah. yeah 70 days right You're but it's not but it's not really 70 it's not really it's not really 70 but it's like seven days in a week but there's seven yeah that's right it's more or less 70 so you got septuagesima you have sexagesima you have quinquagesima quinquagesima which because is quadragesima is 40 days and after after quinquagesima, you know you're getting very serious. And and actually, one of the formal names of Lent is quadragesima, which means 40, 40 days. What? And it's funny, too, when you deal with Protestants. Oh, Lent is this pagan thing. Lent is innate. And they, they start trying to come up with these Anglo-Saxon or, or Nordic entomologies for etymologies for Lent. And, and I'm sorry. It's that like most Christians were already using the word, you know, the, the Latin word for Lent, quadragesimales, as an adjective for to the 40 days period they were already using that before any before while the anglo-saxons and the norse were still pagans before there's any contact with that culture right and so which makes that that claim 10 times more ludicrous than it already is i know jeremiah you want to jump in on this um it's not just the this aspect of the liturgical season it's it's the entire liturgical year where you see these aberrations these differences between the invented calendar of the age of Aquarius in the 1960s and the, the more or less, uh, you know, the calendar of antiquity. Right. But it, there's a gem here, at least for me, like when my wife was designing Septuagesima, if you can't pull the screen up again, the content here just blew me away. So she composed this top piece because as she was reading Dom Guernsey, 
and then she was sharing from with me what she read. I, I realized, you know, septu, like like Ryan said, septuagesima is a preparatory time, but how does it prepare us? And and this is where this is where you've got to look beyond just the liturgy on Sundays. You have to look on the entire Lexio Divina. Look at what is being what are the readings that you know the religious are doing, and the whole thing about this period is we're dwelling upon the origin of our sins and dwelling upon the true depths and gravity. So you see here in the illustration here, you have St. Michael, if thou, O Lord, wilt mark iniquities, who shall abide it? And you have here the three th the three sort of things that are being meditated on during this time is the first, that week of Septuagesima in the readings in Matins, they're reading on the fall and reading on Adam and Eve in the fall. And then in the week of Sexagesima, they're reading on Noah and the flood. And then Queen Quadjessima, the readings in Matins are on, on Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. And also during this time, the reading on the Israel and their uh, the exile to Babylon. All of these things I realized, the whole point of this is to give us a horror of sin. Mm -hmm. To give us a horror of our sins, because what's the church going to bring to us next? The church is going to give us Lent, which is something we can, with the grace of God, do about it. We can, and it just, it struck me that, if you if you can go through Septuagesima decently well, it actually gives you strength to want to fast, to want to go into the desert of Lent. It becomes an opportunity to be cleansed of that sin that you've just that we just meditated upon. And I, and it just that just sort of floored me. And so you know, in a way, my, we're trying to capture that in, in a small way. But there there's a ton of medieval art out there already that captures that, but people have not seen it. So. I just want to share that. That that just that really that blew my mind. Even in the design of this calendar, you know, if several weeks ago. No, I I love it. I I just want to say that uh, my children love staring at the photos. They ask questions about the photos, um, the illustrations, and it helps. Uh, it helps our entire family. I I can't recommend it enough. Jeremiah, if you're game, I would like you to hang out for the next two segments with us where we talk. I would about love that. to. Right, let's 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 do it. So I've got but, rum. I'm good to go. Buy okay, perfect. Buy the calendar. Look at this guy drinking straight from the bottle. You can say, you can say this, is, yeah, this is here, man. Little sips, little you know, moderation, right? Moderation. No, I mean, you know, look, it's Friday night. Uh, if you're not tweeting about your obsessive, you know, thing, um, Christine, uh, maybe you should just watch the rundown and have a drink. <laughs> And okay, all right, we got to get to Fauci. Fauci says you got to get the fourth shot, guys. Hi there, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Fauci. Can you talk a little bit more about what you think the data show now on the need for shots beyond a third dose, beyond a booster? As you know, boosters are being given as early as five months. We are approaching five months uh, now for some of the first folks who got it. What do we know about how often or if further shots will be needed? forward and in particular whether we might need specific types of shots for any variant. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that question. That's obviously an issue that have been followed very closely because as I've said in answer to questions on previous press conferences, similar questions, is that you follow individuals for a period of time after the third dose and you measure a number of phenomenon. You measure laboratory phenomenon, but you measure the real world data on the efficacy in preventing, for example, hospital visits as well as hospitalizations. And I believe that you're going to be hearing data about that as they data become available, and that should not be within a very long period of time. 
I think you should be appreciative of the fact that when you're talking about any decisions that will be made, and I'm not anticipating any of that now, but it has to be put into the context of whom you are talking about. For example, there may be the need for yet again another boost, in this case, a fourth dose boost for an individual receiving the mRNA that could be based on age as well as underlying conditions. So I don't think you're going to be hearing, if you do, any kind of recommendations that would be across the board for everyone that very likely will take into account what subset of people have a diminished or not uh, protection against the important parameters such as hospitalization. Okay. Uh, is this man literally recommending a fourth shot? A fourth jab? Data that Are we the Netherlands, Ryan? I think so. I mean, you, you listen to that. Well, this is the guy that declared, I am the science, somewhat redolent of uh, Palpatine and that, that ridiculous Star Wars prequel trilogy, declaring, I am the Senate when the Jedi challenge him on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I am science. science. <laughs> I am the science. You can't question the science, except when it changes. And you even have the CDC. Uh, what's that gal's name that uh, runs the CDC? I don't want to butcher it and uh, be offensive because she's of age of descent, but whatever. I mean, it, it, she's out there now saying people should have a choice because the data, you know, is the data. And Fauci's out there saying, yeah, trust the data. What data? That data does not exist yet. He's claiming it's going to roll in. And we see this kind of thing with scientific charlatanry all the time. Darwin, for example, laid a stake. 90% of the, the truth of evolution on data that will, did not yet exist on the fossil record will prove it and then give it a little bit and T.H. Huxley pushing for Darwin a little bit. Everyone forgets that the data wasn't actually in yet and Darwin's treated as proven even though the very things he said the fossil record will eventually prove as the fossil record starts to come in does not prove and they just ignore it and move on. Wait so, a second. Wait a second. Are you a young earther, Ryan Grant? Are you a young earth guy? I'm not dogmatic on the young earth. I'm a young earther, but I'm not dogmatic with that. It's not what I lead with. If you say, hey, I'm interested in the Catholic faith. Oh, let me tell you why the earth's only 6,000 years old. I, I don't play that. But I, I, I don't believe in evolution in any way, whether it's an old earth or a young earth, I don't buy it. It's not a, it's not a very compelling argument for to make converts. Hey, no. by the way, the dinosaurs are just uh, dragons, right. you know? Look at anything else. I'm going to leave with the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he gave to his <laughs> apostles and to transmit throughout time. Wait, but wait, 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 wait. Ryan Grant, are you a geocentrist? No. Why do you have to stir the pot? And that's another here, here, here we go again. <laughs> I love geocentrism. I, I love that whole area of discussion. I'm not dogmatic about it. I do not think that you're going to get to the pearly gates and then St. Peter's going to say, let's see here. Uh, you did, you fed the, the home, you know, you fed, you know, you, you okay, 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 fine, fine. The final, you believe in geocentrism, you're going to hell. That's not going to happen. Fine, but fine. But final question. Is Francis well, where, are you, where are you on flat earth? <laughs> oh, uh, my goodness. <laughs> Jeremiah, run, run, Jeremiah, run. <laughs> no, I <laughs> Church fathers and Aquinas, they teach its round. So there, there we go. There we go. I, I mean, I mean, James, James, uh, the infant of Prague is not holding a pancake. Well, no, the infant of Prague is holding a globe. Absolutely. He's only, yes, it's an orb. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, right, so that's where, where, so that's where are I'm you, a, are you an old, 
Are you an old earther or a young earther? No, I, I'm absolutely in the camp of uh, uh, young earth and the work that's being done uh, by our friend, uh, um, uh, sorry, what's his first name? Uh, Owen. Oh, Hugh Owen. Hugh Owen. Hugh Owen, absolutely. Yes. Um, it, it, magnificent work. Uh, it, you know, because we, we're born with certain, uh, you know, we're not born with anything, uh, rather. When you're Catholic, right, you have this, you have this uh, sort of uh, this grand idea that everything here is right, grand conspiracy. Everything here is true, right? But then you go through school, and then they try to force <laughs> their well, they, they 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 don't call this their theology, but it is their theology. Basically. It is. It's a faith. It's a faith. It's a faith. Absolutely. So they try to force it in you, and then you get to a certain age where you say, "Wait a second, you know, one of these two two ideas has to give. Which is it? Is it what I learned in the Marxist, uh, you know, concentration camp called school?" Or is it what the faith the faith has always taught, you know, through, uh, you know, uh, through the centuries? So w- w- which is it? You know, and okay. I, I just you yeah. brought up you brought up the Marxist yeah. concentration camps, right. and that leads so beautifully into the public school is a mortal sin segment. And oh. here you have high schoolers <laughs> protesting the mask mandate. This is good news. I approve of this. I think this is good, but this viewer discretion advice. I'm giving you a 10 second warning. I'm going to show you a video from a high school in which we prove that high school is a mortal sin. Public school is a mortal sin. This is happening in public high schools around the country right now. I have friends and family who are public school teachers who deal with this kind of stuff. And this is exactly how they react. No, stop. Yes, stop. Stop. Get off of her. <laughs> Help. Do you see how the students sit in the background and do nothing. Do you see how the teacher is afraid to stop the assault? Do you see how everyone is neutered and neutralized and unable to help this poor young lady who has knocked unconscious Ryan Grant in a public school? It didn't used to be that bad. When I was a public school teacher, I broke up fights. I was actually licensed to do it. And even though I'm not a particularly imposing or threatening looking person, um, you know, right. I'll put you in a chokehold in two seconds without thinking about it. If that's the situation and that's where we're at, that's what I'll do. And of course, in this case with students, you're never allowed to do that in a chokehold, but I would put them in a restraining hold. And I've done it with with kids that were about close to my weight or better. And because I had to be done because you don't let someone harm another student under your care. That's the way it used to work, you know, um, 15 or so years ago. Uh, not so much anymore. Now they have all the, I, I, I compare it to Walmart, when I was an assistant manager at Walmart, and when I was in salaried management, we had little policies in place to stop you in terms of like shoplifting and the ways in which you dealt with a shoplifter tied the hands of security to stop them from preventing shoplifting going as Walmart basically decided it's better to not get sued by somebody than to uh, stop them stealing the stuff. So they, we don't want to stop them from stealing our stuff, basically was the message. And it got to the point where their policy, AP09, led to where couldn't even, you know, um, 
you know, you had to have all these things in place and you couldn't chase after them. Now it is since I left uh, 12 years ago, I've been out of that, that racket. Um, that now you literally, if, if some guy, you know, you stop him and he says, nah, screw you and walks out the door, you can't do anything. You're not even allowed to report it to police. It's like open season. If you want to steal from Walmart, that's, that's, and they want it that way. And it's a similar mentality in, in the public schools. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. We may harm the rights of the person that's sitting there. Be and look at it, too. A white girl is beating a person of color. And nobody does anything. It's like, wait, wait, really? Where is everyone screaming white privilege? Where is every, where's BLM? Nowhere. Of course, because we got it. you got to be absolutely helpless. You've got to be absolutely, you know, give in to the authority. And that's what they want to do. It's more gaslighting. Give in to the authority. Accept it. Yeah. Don't don't resist. I want to I want to throw it over to Brother Martin. It's been a while since we've heard from you um, on this subject. This is the segment we do it almost every week. It's public schools are mortal sin. Yes, we have exceptions. Yes, okay, there are exceptions. But I'm just saying you you can't define a rule by its exceptions. That puts the second thing first. You have to put the first things first, as Aquinas teaches. But Brother Martin, these these dropout factories. These socialist indoctrination camps, a lot of parents put their kids in the public schools because they're products of public schools and, and public schools were fine back then. Now they're not fine. In fact, they're they're the opposite of fine. You have people who are being beaten in classrooms and the teacher doesn't even intervene. She doesn't even bother to intervene because she's worried about her own skin. She's worried about her own job. She's worried about what her union is going to say. She's worried about what her what her bureaucratic nightmarish school board is going to say. And if you oppose these things at a school board meeting, Brother Martin, in the in this country, in these United States, you're a domestic terrorist. What can we do about it? What can we do about it? Well, homeschool. Um, but first, let me tell you, I, I mean, to support your, what you're saying, to support your question, uh, my own personal experience of the, own, uh, the high school that I graduated from. Um, it was known as a high school where there was, it was pretty safe. It was pretty, I mean, you could find friends there that, that lived pretty moral lives that didn't, you know, break any, didn't do drugs, didn't you know, break the sixth commandment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can find friends there that you could just socialize with. It was a relatively safe in, in, environment. Um, even, even according to, to public school standards back in the, uh, the mid two thousands. Um, but once the school d district redrew the lines for the high schools, which was the year after I graduated high school, there were kids in my high school that, that I just graduated from that committed murder, that broke into somebody's house and committed murder. It's two kids that committed murder. Redrawing the lines in, in, in public school districts can change a lot in a high school settings. So even though there is a particular high school that you graduated from, and so you move to a different part of the country and say, oh, my kids can go to public high school because I went to public high school, it's not exactly the same because even within the same district, you just redraw the lines and you can, and you change the situation drastically. You, you, you change the, the social situation drastically. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what can we do about it? I mean, you can send your kids to Catholic schools, but I also went to a Catholic school. I went two years to a Catholic school, two, two years for public school, for high school. I went to public school um, for middle school and for elementary school, but for high school, two, my first two years, freshman and sophomore year, were, were a private school, a Jesuit school. Um, and then the last two years were a, a, public, a public school. But the first two years as a, as a private Catholic school, it, it was just like a, a male locker room. All the language, all the social expectations, everything was just like being in an all-guys locker room. You weren't cool unless you broke the Sixth Commandment and you smoked weed. 
you weren't anybody unless unless you 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 proved yourself by breaking rules and that was how you how you proved that you were cool that was a situation back in the day in, in this public school and then yep. of course you go to a, to a, a private or a public school rather and, and that's in basically the same situation there so um nonetheless as parents you are the primary response uh people responsible in ed- the education of your children and so whether you send your kids to a private Catholic school or a public Catholic school, you are going to answer to Almighty God for how your children were educated. And if you try to blame God, oh, I, I sent them to a Catholic school, so that was that was what they did, you're still at fault. You're primary at, at fault, not those educators, you, because you made the decision to send them there. If you send your kids to a public school, you are primarily at fault, wh- whatever happens there, because you made the decision to send them there. Of course, there are exceptions, legal exceptions, uh, divorce, et cetera, et cetera. It makes things complicated, all that kind of stuff. But the rule is the rule. And, and, ex- and exceptions, I mean, they don't necessarily prove the rule, but they're, they, they don't necessarily uh, change the rule either. Um, yeah, and here's um, here, here's another video from public school. And I'll kick it over to you, uh, Jeremiah and Ryan. After this video, look closely at these children's faces when they're told that they can finally take their masks off. Starting tomorrow, we don't have to wear masks anymore! All right, so Jeremiah, this is obviously this is a made for TikTok, made for YouTube, made for Twitter, you know, video. I don't know why teachers are filming young children. I, I don't I don't agree with that. But we have the footage and we're looking at it, Jeremiah. And we're saying, okay, even children know that masking the image and likeness of God, there's something wrong with that. Even children know that. Well, everybody knows that. That should just be if you're in touch with reality. You don't you don't do that all the time, but uh, the thing I see here is that the conditioning of starting tomorrow we don't have to wear our masks anymore. You, who has the authority to make you mask your face like that? I mean, it's funny. Some of the kids in the in the video they already had their masks off even before she started, and then there was the, the one little boy who, who the mask came off. It's, it's, this is just absurd. This is just absurd. It really is. It. it you got to splash your face with cold water. I mean, this is why I love living in the country. This is just madness. It's madness. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it makes no sense, Ryan Grant. Um, even children can recognize it. I Again, I think this was a made-for-TikTok video, but um, it seems like the mask mandates within schools, even in blue states and blue school districts, is coming to an end. It would seem so. It's there's a everywhere except for a handful of places. The mandates and the the, the, the mask mandates, the uh, all these things are starting to peel away. We've noticed that kind of the in the wake of the Canadian truckers. Even California is getting rid of its mandates. And I, I, again, I've been last time I, I, I taught in public school was 2006. Um, I, I did a stint of substitute teaching between work a few times, and so up here, but. I don't really have a beat on what's going on in the public schools these days, apart from libs of TikTok and things like that. So, um, but I, 
everything that I have seen shows that real people, not the bots, because the, the Twitter bots will always be extolling why everyone should be masked up, and you always have some some loser that's that's some cuck that's been totally sold on the propaganda that's wearing his mask outside unless somebody breathes on him while he's jogging or something like that. But in reality, I think most people have caught clear thinking that were going along because they were told they had to really think this is wrong and this is stupid. We shouldn't be doing this. And so for a child, this is it's a it's a hard thing to deal with. And so um you know like my my daughter was you know saying hey can i wear a mask why do you want to wear a mask <laughs> oh because we're going in, in in certain places in cordelaine where it seemed like everybody was wearing a mask and she thought it was cool i said all right if you would like you can wear a mask all day but you can't take it off well about an hour she was taking it off she, she couldn't take it anymore it was I said all right see you, you got what you wanted and, and and she saw yeah i don't actually don't like it i don't like that you know having to wear a mask like that so um, you know, for kids where it's like you have to wear this thing and then they're being put through all this torture over it, you know, because kids in public schools have been tortured over this thing. It's like, oh, I want to take this off. I can't breathe. No, you have to keep it on because we boomer people might get sick because of you. And we're so scared. You, We have to keep you masked, even though it's not good for your health. Um, you know, it's a little surprised if the kids are all cheering <laughs> and, uh, you know, thankful. But I think also the mandates are coming up now because, again, they're setting up the next narrative and i think i talked about this before with uh, england getting rid of its mandates right or at least in, in the uk at least in uh, england because uh, scotland and northern ireland have their own provincial governments with their own particular rules about it but uh they, they're just yeah, look we're, we're stepping off the gas pedal now everybody but we're going to push back on as soon as the next uh scandemic comes around that we're going to mm -hmm. push. and mm -hmm. it's just like uh, what jordan peterson was talking about and joe rogan you know, they, they, you, they finally pushed you far enough. You're so many steps back. Now you're going to move one step forward and they're going to move you five more steps back because you didn't resist it. Absolutely. From the very beginning. Yeah, no, I mean, and it, Jeff Zucker is out at CNN, James. And as a result of that, look, this is, this is the mask queen. This is the, this is the, um, um, doctor that they that they trudge out every time they want to tell people that they need to wear a mask and they need to socialist distance and all that stuff the moment that zucker is out james she changes her tune do you agree with the move I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. The science has changed, James. The science has changed, and we don't need masks anymore, according to CNN. How great is this, that? This is so. This is so. This is so infuriating because, of course, <laughs> we are told you have every single variant in the entire, you know, whatever universe coming at us. And first, we had, you know, uh, whatever strains it was now, and then we have Omicron, and all of a sudden. Uh, they're saying, well, well, actually, a few weeks back, even a couple months back, they're saying, well, COVID is always going to be with us. So now they're saying, well, are we going to be done boosting and jabbing? Because it sounds like you're saying all this is going to go away because you're willing to take the masks off. Aren't you going to be expecting a variant soon? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so confused. The narrative just keeps changing. Something new 
all the time, except now, wait a second, you might not need the mask anymore. Wait a second, are we done with COVID? Do we get flu, flu back now? And if we get flu, what's going to be the difference between flu and COVID? So, I, I mean, they don't have a story. And they're, maybe they might, they're looking for a way to get back some, <laughs> some respect from the people who've lost their respect. Uh, very, very boggling, mind-boggling to me. You're you're muted, Mike. Now you're muted, Mike. <laughs> I've done it. I I deserved it. I was I am getting a little sick. I I think I, I have a flu. whatever. Like an That's actual flu. You're running flu, with flu, it. flu flu doesn't exist, flu? Mike. You have COVID. No, I have COVID. the real, no. I have the actual original <laughs> flu. I don't have COVID. I've already had COVID. You sure? Do you have some ivermectin? I can send you some. <sighs> <laughs> I was muting myself because off camera I was coughing up a lung. Ooh. But I'm doing the rundown because I love y'all. Now hey, I have three videos will. right now. I have three. Now, viewer discretion advised. These are three very, I've saved them till the end. This is a hot episode. These are the toughest to, yes, I know. These are the toughest to watch. Okay. I have a video of Muslim prayer taking place in St. Sulpice in France. The Sulpicians are an outgrowth of St. Sulpice, teaching uh, order of priests. I have a demonically possessed woman who is a human trafficker caught on video wow. where she's being arrested. And then I have the very, very difficult to watch. Ryan found this, the I can't breathe segment video. So this is your last chance. If you're watching with a child, if you're watching with a minor, it's not on me. It's on you. Okay, get them out of here. This isn't for them. This is adult hour. It's 10 o'clock at night, central time. Okay, so we're going to go to the the um, sacrilege in St. Sulpice in France. Muslims are praying now in New Church. This is ecumenism gone wild. <laughs> brother martin i want to go to you first what and i say this in all charity i say this in full deliberate use of the english language what the hell is happening <laughs> in saint topis uh, what happened in hell <laughs> so everyone's damned and they experience i don't know what it, it, it's this demonic idea of ecumenism where you could all pray to different gods gods of different definitions uh, the Islamic God is not the same as a Christian God. The Christian God is a God of reason, whereas the Islamic God is a God of will. Will they do whatever they want because of what what they want when they want? Uh, you, you only talk to an American soldier who who's been in the Middle East, and they can tell you what the Muslims do at night uh, to beasts and whatever else. They don't worship the same God as we do, by by definition. Uh, and so, if they have a different definition of God, then they don't worship the same God as we do. Um, it's an idea that humans. Uh, that we worship man, that, that we worship a, a human fraternity. It's a Masonic idea. Uh, but what's going on in, in, in this church is the fact that, that the church in France has, has lost the faith. Um, not so much the people in France, but the church in France as, as uh, regarding the institution. Um, because I know there's a lot of SSPX chapels that have kept the faith, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to separate those true Catholics uh, from those who just abide by the Novus Ordo religion except this uh, Muslim worship in their churches in, in, in spaces consecrated to the worship of God, the true God, um, allowing 
uh, worship for, for a false god, the Muslim god, the false god um, in their churches, and, and, and committing sacrilege. Um, two different religions, Novus Ordoism and, and Catholicism, two different religions. Um, because if you ask any Novus Ordo bishop, whatever, if this is tr- if this is correct, he might say quietly to you, "Oh no, this isn't this isn't correct, et cetera, et cetera." But if if he says, "Okay, well, can I publish that in the paper? Can I send that to Pope Francis? Can I publish that in the service of Ramadan?" Like, oh no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do it. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that to me. I'll I'll lose my office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they're admitting the fact that they are two different religions. If they're not willing to put their neck on them. I think the last two weeks, earlier February, we had St. John Chrysostom, who was a bishop of Constantinople, uh, a very important see in, in early Christianity, who was exiled from Constantinople by the empress uh, because of what he was preaching. We had uh, St. Saint Hilary, another bishop who was exiled from his see in France because of what he was preaching. We have so many bishops in our calendar who have been St. Athanasius, who have been exiled from their see because they were preaching the Catholic faith. And bishops today prefer to keep their see rather than preach the truth. They prefer to say, you know what? It's better for me to keep my see and to teach my my own jurisdiction, my own archdiocese, my own diocese, the truth, rather than... Healthcare and retirement are expensive. Healthcare and retirement, pensions. You, you can't just, I mean, what are you going to do without that stuff? It might be uncomfortable. I'll be, I'll be honest. And here's the thing. Podcasters have an incredible power. And this is, they have an incredible reach of people. But so far as what I've seen in the last two years that I've been doing the rundown and getting to know different podcasters, the power has been used more to cancel Orthodox Catholics, Orthodox priests on Twitter, on YouTube, than it has been to to collect support for Orthodox priests and bishops if they were to lose something so vital. If they're sick, if they need money to pay for their health insurance, what podcaster, question, serious question, what podcaster has been out there raising money for a priest's health insurance because he's preached the truth? Yeah, that's a good point. I've not you know seen what? a single uh, one. Can I can I take a minute? I would like to plug the the uh, coalition for canceled priests. And I know that, that like people are going to be like, "Wow, you're plugging the coalition for canceled priests? Why would you do that?" Um, I believe that what they're do I believe in their mission. They're not associated with church militant. A lot of you think that they are associated with church militant. No. Church Militant did a couple segments on canceled priests in which, you know, they had like a sodomite on there and like I've said, a Vicantis on there or whatever. And then, and they do zero research, uh, whatever. Uh, zero. Uh, hey, if you're fake news, you're fake news, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> you can do your thing. But the, the organization itself, and I believe that one of the founders of the organization is joining us in two weeks or three weeks on the rundown here for the coalition of canceled priests. These are priests who stand up for truth they're traditional, they're Novus Ordo, whatever. They're standing up for truth, and they're oppressed by their bishops, and we need to support the Coalition for Canceled Priests. To your point, Brother Martin, I'm going to give it back to you, Brother Martin, to finish your thought. But I, but, but this is a good thought, because a lot of podcasters that you know, that you love, a lot of media enterprises that you know, that you love, are in it for themselves. They're self-licking ice cream cones. The purpose of their the the mission statement that they have is to exist. That's their mission statement. 
to exist and to expand and to grow, not to do anything good, positive for the world. All right, go ahead. Listen, two years ago, guys, everybody who's watching the run on all 391 of you, two years ago, even more, um, I've heard of priests in chanceries, in chancery offices, doubting the validity of the election of Pope Francis. If any of those priests ever came out within these past two years, even all the podcasters would be against them. And they have reached of thousands, tens of thousands, almost hundreds of thousands. They'd be condemned by them. They tell you, don't follow this guy. Don't support this guy. He's a heretic. He's a schismatic. Don't support this guy. But he just like, you know, Pacamama, come on. Is this a true Pope, Pacamama? Really? And so they'd condemn you. They'd, they'd harass this guy. They'd condemn this guy. They'd beat this guy down into the dust. And you'd hear no more. You'd see no more of this, this, this priest, whatever. He'd be dead, dead to the world. And, and he'd go off into the abyss, working at Walmart, et cetera, et cetera, to, to, to live out the rest of his life. But now we see podcasters coming out, finally, um, and raising some serious questions. Well, good for them, finally. Good for them, finally. Um, but they need to take responsibility for, for having had that power before and having used it um, to separate themselves, to distance themselves for those who was obviously speaking the truth. Because they, then they ask them, where are our true shepherds? Well, they're being caged in a pen by the podcasters, by those who are Catholic celebrities, by those who have the power um, to, to sway the popular opinion of, of most Catholics in the United States. And I want to bring people in. I want to bring Jeremiah in. I, I see you raising your hand, but, but, but I just want to make the point very quickly that if you would have stuck your neck out six months ago and asked the questions that are being asked now out in Tradville, out in podcastville, you would be filleted. And I'm not talking about Bishop filet. I'm talking about like <laughs> gutting your lungs open filleted by the likes of, you know, Church Maleficent. Now, their friends, Church Maleficent friends, to your point, Brother Martin, I'll give you one more chance to land the plane here. Your, their friends, like Patrick Coffin, are allowed to openly question whether or not Pope Francis is the Pope. But their enemies, like Taylor Marshall, who doesn't question it, he just says, hey, he, Francis is a heretic. Their enemies are not allowed to say that. It's a double standard and it's bogus, and it's garbage, and everybody sees through it. But if you had come out six months ago, Brother Martin, and you had said, hey, you know, I think this guy's a heretic. He, he says something heretical every two weeks. He's, he's, he's uh, materially a heretic. He's formally a heretic. He's just a heretic. He's not even a Catholic. If you would have said that six months ago, well, I, I, maybe they would sue you. I don't know. I'll be honest. If I had said that six months ago, every 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 podcaster on the face of the planet would have had distanced themselves from me, et cetera, et cetera. And then this thing about the community saints comes out, and all of a sudden, oh, they'll, they'll try to take my position, et cetera, et cetera, um, and even forget about me, and even stops, you know, forget about me, and not think about supporting me, even though I was right six months in advance. Um, I mean, really, with Amoris Letitia, all of this began, and it, it was blatantly clear. Chapter eight of Amoris Letitia, it was blatantly clear. Giving communion to, to the divorce and, and civilly remarried, blatantly clear. Um, four cardinals come out and actually have the ability um, to formally correct 
and, uh, and reprimand the Pope to, to actually uh, begin the process that St. Billerman, Alphonsus, etc. cetera, uh, said requ- was required to actually, um, well, correct a Pope, condemn a Pope. Um, they didn't do it. They, they, they backed down last minute. I mean, I think it was uh, Cardinal Brandmuller. I think Cardinal Burke said that Cardinal Brandmuller wouldn't sign on. And so, okay, they, they, they stopped. Um, but nonetheless, if I had come out six months earlier and said this, all this stuff, the podcasters would have abandoned me. But now Patrick Coffin comes out and, and, and publishes the video on Rumble, seven points to prove that Pope Francis is an anti-pope. Tim Gordon will say, oh, I would never say anything bad about uh, Patrick Coffin. He's my home skillet. He's my home skillet. But then uh, Taylor Marshall Did he say home skillet? Did he, he really say home skillet. skillet? He said home skillet. Who says home skillet? But then Tim, uh, Taylor Marshall comes out and, and, and <laughs> says something even less but more serious. I mean, he lays out his proofs, like evidence, or whatever. Church Militant yeah. and, and Tim Gordon come out and release a video just slamming t- uh, Taylor Marshall without naming him. That's it's, it's unfair. So Ryan is this showcasing is what he's smoking. Uh, Jeremiah, you've been raising your hand. Put this up in the chat. Uh, uh, La Polina Blue, Blue Label, in case anyone's wondering in the chat. So everyone wants to know what I'm smoking. All well, they are wondering. But but we're wondering what Jer- – Jeremiah, you're going to jump in here. What uh, what are you going to – what are you going to add either to the idea of the double standard of it's okay for my friends to say unpopular things but not my enemies – or just the just the idea of Muslims praying in a Catholic church for goodness sakes. Just to go back though, because I I have this conversation with my coworker at work ongoing, and there okay, you guys could probably help me. There's an appar- apparitions have talked about this sort of diabolic disorientation. I think the simple fact is most people they do things for logical reasons. They have unless your mind is actually broken then you're going to do things for generally logical reasons. And it's hard to, I guess it's hard to believe these folks are just have, they know diabolically what they're doing, but I could, I could understand if they were in a fog or they weren't able to actually see clearly for some reason. It was interesting. We had Cardinal Mueller actually came out and visited the monastery recently. And I got to talk to Father Bethel, the prior at the monastery, and I asked him, you know, if he had some conversations. And he mentioned, he asked him a few questions, but he didn't really get, Cardinal Mueller didn't really give him any answers. And I just wonder if there isn't a kind of cloud that, that when you look at these facts, like you guys have been talking about, by Taylor Marshall and the others have brought forward, they seem so clear. Why yeah. is it we can't get clear answers from these men? Is there something clouding their vision? I mean, it's hard for me to automatically go to malicious intent unless there's a there's a long chain that's very clear. I, I just there's something wrong here. It shouldn't be this difficult. That's that's what my thinking is. It shouldn't be this difficult. We should be able to string together these facts and show something. Wait, 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 they, wait. Are you saying that it shouldn't take five years to answer a simple dubia of like five questions? I. <laughs> You are you're making too much sense tonight, Jeremiah. You should join the rundown. Okay, Ryan, I want to I want to bring you in because um I want you know one of the things that Marshall did, and I think he did it so well, is he just said, look, either either Pius XII is wrong or Francis is wrong. Because you can't both you can't have truth and error coexist at the same time. A thing cannot both be and simultaneously be at the same time. This is the principle of non-contradiction. This is what he said. 
And it's a very simple principle, and it should be. And this goes for certain other things that Francis has said. Because there's some things he said, it's just like, what the heck does that even mean? And it could be interpreted in a fashion that's heretical. Could be, you know, gerrymandered into some some fashion, some understanding that's actually at least not heretical at the minimum. Um, you, you know, there's other things he says that at least are malisonans that is sounding bad. There's offensive piarmaurium, uh, offensive to pious ears. But this specific, I mean, there's there's other things you could point to like this, but this specific one. Um, you know, where he says that apostates belong to the community of saints, too. That's ex explicitly opposed to what Pius XII says in Mediator Day. And, and it's also opposed to the entire tradition in, in, in Catholic ecclesiology. So that in, in the fathers and everything else, so really, you can't get around it. What Pope Francis has said here is, at the very minimum, erroneous, if not actually heretical. And, and so and that's all it is. It's like, look, we got to point this out. Um, that doesn't make us all Sedevacantists. Marshall is not declaring himself a Sedevacantist. You know, I mean, and then you look at Taylor is, you know, raising, you know, kids in the faith. He's always about praying the rosary. Even if you think he's wrong, he's not as far off as people marching in pride parades and things of this sort on the, on the, on the so-called Catholic left. So, you know, I support, you know, him highlighting this, this uh, juxtaposition. And it, it needs to be said because and, and that doesn't mean that we are now declaring he's an anti-pope that he's not really the Pope, that because that's a judgment beyond us. We're just looking as ladies saying, hey, this is what we've received in the teaching of the Catholic Church. And now he said something is directly contrary to it. Um, you know, hello, bishops and cardinals, where are you? No, uh, no, and, and that's no. really what it comes down to. And I mean, you, you can see what, you know, how I lay out, you know, what Bellarmine's teaching is this is on Taylor Marshall's own program. Um, where I mean, because you look at what Bellarmine says on councils, he very, very clearly understands that a council of some sort, imperfect or whatever, is necessary in order to get the declaratory sentence. So that yeah, on the one side of the Pope, he ceases to be Pope the minute he becomes a formal manifest heretic. That is, in his will, he is pertinacious and means to contradict what the Church believes. He means to teach something other than what's been received. But then, you know, because so, God knows that. We don't know that, but God knows that. And that's why he ceases to be Pope, according to Bellarmine and those who follow his side of the argument at that time. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, that's when the church has to get into it and say, no, uh, you can't tell Holy Father, you said this. Do you know the church teaches this? And this is the very process that, you know, theologians and bishops of the church followed John the 22nd. When the John the 22nd was publicly teaching in his sermons, he just didn't have YouTube and, and everything else in the 14th century. He was publicly teaching in his sermons that there was no particular judgment, that the souls you know, that um, that died, they're just kind of sitting in abeyance like in the limbo of the fathers. They don't get a particular judgment in heaven. And that was contrary to what the fathers taught, and that was contrary to what uh, even some, some councils had taught previously. And so the Parisian theologians and the bishops, they get into it with the Pope, and they lay down, we respect your authority, but do you mean to teach this? It's really this. And that controversy wanes, and, and, and eventually that Pope uh, recanted, uh, you know, on his deathbed. He did He did recant to the whole thing, and the next Pope defined the matter in favor of the tradition. And so, and then that's one of the things we're, le we're, we're lacking here is, you know, people, because they're like, like Brother said, there's too many people attached to their position, whether that's a theologian in this diocese, at this university, at this, you know, wherever, or again, bishops in their sees, 
They don't yeah. want to you know, offend the man. As a well, it's, it's, it's effeminacy. It's, it's the unwillingness to make a sacrifice for the truth. It's an unwilling, it's a horror of suffering. That's, that's, I think that's the definition of effeminacy. Well, did, they, did they even realize? I almost wonder if they realize what they're doing. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no, they're very they short-sighted do. because they're looking at themselves. They're short-sighted because they're not looking at, at, uh, at the eternal things. Um, James, I want to bring you in, but I have to move to the next video, so you'll be the first to comment. This is really scary, actually. Again, viewer discretion advises your last warning. It's not my fault if you watch this and you shouldn't be watching this. This is a woman picked up at the border, and um, she's been arrested for human trafficking, trafficking children. God only knows what she's been doing with these children, what's happened to these children. But look at the behavior of this woman. Is this natural or supernatural? Okay. What you feeling? Ma'am, put your feet in so we can close the doors. Okay. I'm just going to close the door. Stay right there before we move. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Calm down. Hey, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Back up. Back up. Hold on. Hey, get your foot back in there. Get your foot back in there. Ma'am. Ma'am, we're going to have to tase you. You're not going to like that. I don't understand what you're telling me. Get your feet back in there. Yeah, it goes on for a while, James. Um, and I have to tell you, I, I have um, I have family and family in law that work for Border Patrol in the southern border in Texas. I have plenty of friends in Texas and from Texas. Um, this is scary when you engage in uh, in sin, especially the corruption of minors. Um, I I believe that you open yourself up to possession. Yeah, I mean, that's a really tragic uh, video that showcases, uh, highlights the reality of the problems which uh, we have in our day and age. Of course, it always existed, but uh, now now more prolific. Uh, ch- children are being uh, carted, trafficked uh, from one place to the other, uh, and uh, they're used for demonic purposes. And, uh, I, you know, obviously I don't know the length and breadth of this, what this woman has done, but it's obvious that uh, she's behaving as though um uh she's an agency of uh you know <laughs> of evil um and uh, yeah it's uh it's it's not something that you know one kind of looks at and turns away and thinking well you know this is not something that's affecting me but uh this is kind of it's like being in a public school other kids watching other kids being beat up and not doing anything so this this these uh, people are probably going to take this woman, put her in an institution, give her pills, and send her back out. Obviously, you know, if she's prosecuted and, and taken to jail, that's that's one thing. Uh, if they find her not guilty or whatever, she's going to go back out there in the street, and she's going to be on uh, medication. And uh, it just keeps happening. What's, what's to say this is not going to be something that turns into something worse? You know, and that, this is kind of yeah. where we're headed in society, yeah. 
Yeah, no kidding. I, and, and lots of people are talking about the crisis at the southern border. In fact, that's going to relate to my unpopular opinion tonight, Brother Martin. But uh, I mean, look, I, I think when you when you're in habitual sin, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think this is true. Engaging in habitual sin opens yourself up to demonic possession. And that's clearly what I think we're seeing with this woman who is trafficking young children across the border to be abused. Well, I mean, this isn't just habitual sin. This is like habitual lying, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, this is trafficking young children. I mean, this is this is something grave. This is something extreme. Um, but, but absolutely. Uh, but seeing this video, I mean, n- knowing something about demons, I mean, they could easily push that door open and and, and save themselves, et cetera, et cetera. There's 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 extraordinary things that that demons can do when when they possess someone um, that could have manifested themselves greater. Um, than just someone just being angry and, and pretending to be a demon. I don't know. Just, just to frighten somebody. I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, yeah. there, there's a lot of demonic totally things that are that. going on at the border. I've seen some of this stuff up close, and I can tell you that if she was fully manifesting, and she was, if she was possessed and fully manifesting, not only could she have pushed that door open, she could have taken cops double her weight and triple her weight. Exactly. And and so uh, demonic obsession, however, is not impossible and something like that, as well as just, just being completely nuts. I mean, that, yeah. that's the thing. But I, I think I wouldn't rule out demonic obsession, frankly. Yeah. Right, right. I, I, I think that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, people forget that the different stages of, of possession and uh, there are lesser degrees of possession, including obsession. Um, so I, yeah, maybe she's not possessed, but, but certainly when you're engaging in occult like practices, which, which would include, you know, the, the, uh, abuse of children. Okay. Finally, uh, Ryan found this video. This is the perfect video for the, I can't breathe segment, but I want you to say, look, this woman is not extremely modest and I would normally not want to show a video like this on RTF. But you absolutely can't make this up, and you have been warned. I don't mean to brag. I don't care. But I want you to know, double-vaxxed, booster, flu shot, and I'm going to be honest, I have the shingle shot, too. And I still get my period. What? Yes! Traveled, went to Mexico twice, did shows, meet and greets, Never got COVID. Clearly, Jesus loves me the most. Seriously. So nice. So nice. Jesus loves her, but the uh, Fauci doesn't. I, I, I'm, I'm not taking a victory lap on this woman having a seizure. Okay, and none of us are. This is a very serious thing. This is a very, this is a very sad, horrible uh, thing. But you cannot ignore, on the other hand, you can't ignore the irony. The woman is 
performing a stand-up. She's talking about how vaccinated she is. She's using that as a as a way of bragging, Jeremiah. And she's saying to the audience, not only have I had the COVID-1984 vaccines and the boosters, I've had all kinds of other vaccines as well, so you know that I'm not spreading anything. I I'm not I'm not taking a victory lap on her, but this is this is absolutely God has his timing for certain things, and this is on camera. Yeah. Diabolic disorientation. That's what keeps coming to me over and over again as I watch this stuff. I'm just sitting in my house here in the country. You know, many of these videos that, that you're showing, I, I diabolic disorientation. I, I feel like you really these 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 folks are being given over to madness. What is this? Is this not an example of, of what uh what our Lord said when when that person will not amend, you turn them over, turn them over to the devil for the salvation of their soul. Turn them over. The the prodigal son, go all the way. You have to hit that rock bottom. Um it's just madness. It's madness. Yeah. I, I don't really know what else that seems to be the, the only sensible and- reaction. And to be honest, we, Ryan, we as moderns have lost the idea that um, that disease and afflictions are very often, not all the time, but they can be a just yeah. uh, 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 suffering as a result of our own sins. Mm-hmm. And this woman mocks our Lord Jesus Christ on camera in front of a stage. And she mocks our Lord in taking the vaccines. Um, you know, maybe this is a just reward. I don't know. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying maybe it is. But we as moderns have certainly lost the idea that, you know, disease and, well, the wages of sin are death. I mean, not everything is God intervening to say, okay, I'm going to show these people who's boss here. Because I mean, because God created the world, He created all the secondary causes that that continue to move the world. But at the same time, He does when He needs to intervene, and He have the Church Fathers that tell us so. In the case of Arius, for example, Saint Basil the Great says that he prayed at the icon of Saint Macarius to to be relieved from the, that the Church be relieved from the scourge of Julian the Apostate, and then you know he wakes up and the icon of Saint Macarius has blood on it. And he says, you know, you know, what did you do? And at that same time, while St. Basil was praying for the icon of St. Macarius, uh, Saint, uh, uh, Julian, the Emperor Julian the Apostate died on the front fighting the Persians. And he was struck by a spear and he declared in his death, you've conquered, O Galilee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was put to death for all his blasphemies and his evils against the church. And, and he, so you look at the religion that, that the fathers bequeathed to us, the medievals that ascribe things and today we're like oh well they they didn't understand the causality of the world they didn't understand science so they just describe to every divine cause whatever happened to them and so that people write this off as if it's not now it, not every single time does something happen to a person you say well see there was god god did something to him but at the same time that doesn't mean that god doesn't in specific instances when he, he feels he needs to and yeah. so again for this poor unfortunate woman um, maybe that was God stepping in because, you know, he take, but, but then again, people abuse God's name on YouTube, on this platform, all over the world, all day. And, you know, he doesn't yeah. strike one's dead. With impunity. So, yeah, with but, impunity. So, I mean, compared to this minor abuse, if by comparison, 
not that it's good, but the, the, by comparison, fairly minor abuse. Um, you know, and so I, I, I don't. No, but, there, but there is a good though, Ryan. And and tell tell me if I'm wrong. Correct me here. But I I think the good is is that this you know, for so many people who blaspheme against our Lord's name with impunity, nothing ever happens to them because you know that it's going to happen in the afterlife. For this particular woman, it happens now. Happens here on Earth. So that is a good. Our Lord is providing her an opportunity to suffer now, immediately for the sin of blasphemy. Boom! There it is. You're expiated and now. We can only pray that 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 she will have some cognizance of that fact, and and be led to the truth and be able to do penance for that. That that that's the best we can hope for, really. But it is also a cautionary tale. And sometimes, and again, God will sometimes allows us things. So if that's in fact what happened here, it's yeah. a it's public stage for that to happen. So, I mean, you read stories about, like, um, there's this one great book by, by Father Michael Mueller called The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Big book. I'm not sure who, who publishes it now. Tan used to. And in that book, there's a story about a guy who got a, he got all his friends around. He took some bread and said, hey, and he mocked the uh, when our Lord instituted the Holy Eucharist. And he's outside of a church. And he's got bread. He's like, hey, friends. And he, and he basically mocks the entire uh, narrative of institution that you find in St. Luke. Yeah. And then and then his friends notice he eats the bread and all of a sudden he got sick and he healed over and he died right there on the spot. And everyone immediately is, holy crap. Oh, wow. Look, look at that. And they all went to confession, grabbed me and did a part of the whole thing. So, I mean, God will allow that to happen when it suits his purposes. And this may very well be that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, James, almost, I would say, woe to the... To, to the perpetual sinner, to the common sinner, who doesn't experience anything like this in his lifetime, right? I mean, if you have no opportunity, and you're muted, but or I don't know if you're muted, but if you have no opportunity to um, to make amends in your life, it almost it almost implies that our Lord knows what your what your destination is going to be, and that's up. He's given up on you. Yeah, it, it could be several things. You know, our Lord certainly manifests uh, his will, you know, in many different ways. I mean, people obviously get caught up in lots of things that are, uh, you know, un- unsavory. And they have to reflect, you know, in their knowledge and in their intellect. Uh, they know they've done wrong. Uh, and they they know, they themselves know what, what has to be done in order to uh, basically make that right. In some cases, people don't know. Perhaps they're a little callous. Uh, they've never been educated in the right way. And then, yeah, God uses incidents like that to make them think of their mortality. You know, who could imagine being on a stage telling uh, jokes and, you know, for laughs? And, of course, maybe, uh, you know, who knows her past or whatever it is. But then to to sort of uh, in the moment of that uh, seeming triumph, you, you fall down and you have to start thinking about exactly what, what happened 10 seconds before. You know, that's a wake-up call. And uh, she ought to be grateful for some, something like that ha- happening, whether or not she realizes it uh, today or tomorrow or a month from now. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's been formed in her mind, you know, as, you know, one thing proceeding, you know, directly to another. You know, this was the prior incident that happened before this other incident. And so she has to come to terms with that. And she's... Definitely. I mean, we, we wouldn't we all uh, be the better if we were visited with some sort of, uh, you know, incident, not not necessarily, you know, collapsing, but just, you know, uh, this, you know, a reminder 
about uh, how uh, mortal we are, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would yeah, all benefit yeah. from that. No, absolutely. I, I, and again, I, I feel for this woman. I, I, I don't, I'm not dancing on her grave, by the way, she didn't die. Um, many of, many of you have commented that she didn't die, that she recovered, that she's fine. And that's great. But hopefully this is a wake up call that you, you don't, you don't mock almighty God, um, either in taking the unholy sacrifice of the jab or nor, uh, when you're on stage. Um, okay. We have to get, we have two other things to do. We have the unpopular opinions and we have the grifter segment. And for the unpopular opinions, we have five of us on here already. And I've prepared a really good one. So if any of you want to abstain, let me know. But I have to give you Tucker Carlson's unpopular opinion this week. Tucker Carlson, here we go. More conventional than that. What is your most far out view? I hate drywall. <laughs> I, I, I really don't like unnatural building materials. I really believe in wood. And I'm an extremist on the subject, and I won't live in or spend any time in a room whose walls are covered with drywall, which is like paper-covered gypsum. Yeah, And yeah. it's a very conventional building material because it's cheap and easy to install, but it's disgusting, and it's, it sucks the life out of you. It's, it's just enervating to be in a room covered with drywall, so I just won't. You know, I won't. It's not more expensive to panel a room with, say, pine boards like the one I'm in right now. And so I do. I, I'm not spending any time in a room with drywall or overhead lighting or anything fluorescent. Like, why would I do that? I, I really believe in natural building materials. Aesthetics are really important to me. Nature is really important to me. And so I'm just not going to do it. You know, I'm, I'm never going to stay in like a, ho in a hotel room if I can help it. I don't I don't want to. So I'm I afraid, I'm afraid to tell you, as you probably know. That is your fascistic ethno-nationalism expressing itself. <laughs> okay. 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 I don't know if any of us could beat Tucker this week, but uh, one of you one of you has to abstain because I have a really good one. So uh, let me know if you're not going to give an unpopular opinion, but otherwise we're moving I'll on to the end. for another week. Okay. All right. Brian's going to abstain from the unpopular opinions, which means we're going to move to Brother Martin for the unpopular opinion. Jeremiah, don't worry. You'll get to give one, but Brother Martin, you go first. Unmute yourself. Thank you. He, he was going to. He's just stretching his back. He's like, ah, here it comes. <laughs> Get ready. Well, no, it's, I'm a phlegmatic, and so I take a second just to pause and to make sure I have my thoughts straight, et cetera, et cetera, because I want to give it crystal clear. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Um, what I was saying earlier in the show, the fact that podcasters have so much power, it's only because I I know I do know so many priests who have had these thoughts uh, years before these two podcasters, Taylor Marshall or Patrick Hoffman, have come out and said these things kind of explicit. Uh, and I do think podcasters have too much power in the sense that priests, their their lives are dedicated to their their, their parishioners and, 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 and being pastors in their parish and administering the sacraments. They don't have the time or the opportunity to get tens of thousands of or hundreds of, of subscribers on their YouTube channels um, so that if their bishops were to cancel them, they could still somehow make a living just like these lay people do um, off of their subscribers or, you know, off of the whatever funds come from the commercials they get on their channels from being monetized or whatever else. They don't have those opportunities. All they do is give their lives to the people of God. They preach the truth. They get canceled once by their bishop. And then again, by the Novus Ordi podcasters. 
And so it's, it's like a, a double punch. You get punched once by your bishop and then to death by the podcasters because they have hundreds of thousands of followers, et cetera, et cetera. Some priests get the, the luxury, like the James Altman guy, Father James Altman. I'll call him James Altman because he hates his bishops, whatever. Doesn't even call them by, by bishop, whatever. Just call them by their first name. So James Altman, um, he'll go, he'll, he'll, he'll get the luxury of, of ha- raising $700,000 and then buying a house in cash. Fine. You know, not hating on him in that sense, but there are certain priests who, who preach one truth and get the luxury, luxury of surviving, even though they're suspended by their bishops, et cetera, et cetera. But other priests who are, who are faithful to, to the truth, um, who preach the truth, um, don't have that luxury. And so what, what it really comes down to between James Altman and the other priests is the fact that there was a podcaster on James Altman's side. There was, there was, there was media on James Altman's side. And, and not a, anybody else's side. So my unpopular opinion is that podcasters hold too much clout, hold too much power in the church over those who are in an office to exercise power in persona Christi, in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. So in a, in a sense, podcasters are more powerful um, <laughs> than our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if, if, if the sacraments, those who are given the office to, to preach his truth, to administer his sacraments. Um, so if you have, if, if somehow, if somehow this, this power has come to you without even really trying, um, then really, I think you need to recognize that and, and, and not speak for or against any particular po- podcaster or any particular priest, um, when he, when he's preaching the truth. But if you, if you choose to condemn certain priests, you, you, you better bet you're going to be held accountable before Almighty God on your judgment day. Whoa, that's heavy. I uh, I feel the power right now. I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, all right, James, unpopular opinion. My unpopular opinion for this week is, you know, uh, I've been driving people up the wall in the last couple of days. I said a couple of things and uh, you know, was, uh, <laughs> you yeah, yeah. I wasn't shocked by the response. It's just uh, what's really interesting is how people have a very short-term memory. And I guess once you have another... Uh, abuser in chief in, in office was worse than the last one, then all of a sudden the previous one looks like a really, really uh, good deal. But basically what I said on, on Twitter, which I still hold, is uh, that Pope Benedict XVI was a modernist. And uh, it's it's interesting to, to me because uh, 20 years ago, uh, uh, I guess 2005, that makes it, uh, what, 17 years? I guess So 17 years ago, um, you know, he came into uh, into papacy, and we had high hopes, obviously, uh, when he first chose the name uh, Benedict. We thought that we were going to see some changes. And, of course, we did see some changes. We saw some positive things. But we saw some things also that gave us a lot of pause. Now, people are trying either to obfuscate the things that didn't happen or they're just altogether uh, pretending it didn't happen. You know, Benedict did go into a mosque, and he did pray with Muslims uh, or alongside them, however you want to phrase that. Uh, he also said he is a Quran respecter. These are not my, these are not my words. You know, these are uh, Benedict's words. You know, I am a Quran respecter. And uh, well, what about the visits to Assisi? You know, this is this all happened when he was Pope, you know? And so this came on the, on the back of uh, Smarm so with one mouth, he's 
basically releasing the traditional Latin mass, which is a, which is a good thing. But we must remember this, though. The traditional Latin mass was, was never abrogated. As he said, rightly so, the traditional Latin mass was never abrogated. So, okay, yeah, that's great. You know, he's released it. He's actually let us know what's happening. In the same breath, you know, when I say, well, um, look, look at what the other things he's doing, uh, as I, I've just explained, and people say, well, he gives the TLM, so we should at least be thankful for that. Yeah, I know. Well, 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 Pope Francis also said that you can go confess to the society. He said you can go confess to the SSPX. Does, does that mean he gets a pass and everything else that he does? Um, and it's just a fact. You know, uh, look through 17 years, and there are many more things he said and done. I just touched on very little because the, the very little I've touched on is something people can go out and find and see. And then from that, they can conclude in their minds what we all know. And it, I said he he was he was an affable um, modernist, you know, so I don't hate him. I, I don't disdain him personally. Um, and people are confusing the, the two or conflating the two. You know, no, I, I can point to uh, certain, uh, you know, uh, foibles in his uh, papacy, which, you know, were presented for the whole world to see. You know, but being blessed by a shaman for what reason? I have no idea. Playing with praying with pagans, I don't know. Telling a, a Lutheran woman who worked in the Vatican that she didn't have to convert to Catholicism because you know it might be it might be better if they see you as as a Lutheran. You shouldn't convert. Well, she's been in the Vatican for thirty years. Of course, she wants to convert. You know, and you're telling her it's she should not convert. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, my popular opinion this this week is that uh, Pope Benedict was was an affable modernist. Yeah, well, no, look, it it certainly seems like uh, this particular subject has been um, has been polarizing people because if you reject Francis because you don't like him, then you necessarily almost have to run into the arms of Benedict, and then when you start to apply the same logic to Benedict, it's, it gets pretty ugly. Um, so you've taken some flack on Twitter, James, and I'm glad that you're doing it. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah, liturgyofthehome.com. Unpopular opinion for your first debut round with the rundown. I've got an unpop. It's funny. I was considering, I was thinking, what, what should I bring in, in my rosary tonight with my family? I was asking that question as we were pondering the sorrowful mysteries, and it came to me. <clears throat> you know, I don't know what's going to happen to this. You know, my wife and I, we, we're new in this, this little enterprise. We're growing. But honestly, I want truth. I want truth and clarity. And my own pop, there is this sort of division I see within traditional Catholics, I, I would say to use labels, I know labels can be uh, wrong, but they are useful if you don't overstretch them. The fraternity of St. Peter on one side and then maybe the society on the other. There's something wrong here. And I feel like what's going on with Traditionis Custodes, what's, I feel like we're all being pushed to the same place maybe Archbishop Lefebvre was. And I, I want to know, is this SSPX claim that the new mass is a danger to the faith? Is that true? I want I want to see an actual substantial argument and debate, not name calling, not mudslinging, but I want to because 
I feel like this issue is not, it's been danced around by so many. And I feel like it needs to be, so I feel like in some ways I want my umpop really to ride on the shoulders of brother Martin and of what James has said. We've, we have this sort of divide within Tradville and I feel like we need to get to the bottom of it and at least understand what's really at that root. Because especially with, with the pronouncements that are likely to come, if we understand the direction that is being signaled, what, what is, you know, what is the right thing to do? You know, my understanding, the society has sort of taken a, what I call position three uh, disobedience. You know, if, if you're asked to do something that's against God, you, you cannot, you, you must choose to obey God and not obey men. Is that really a valid position? Are they really, are they there? I, I, I want to, I really, I've listened, I've been listening a lot to different arguments that society has brought up, but I've really never heard much from the other side in, let us say, in defense of the new mass. And so there's this uneasiness now I, I, I discern, at least in a lot of the circles that I walk in, because, um, you know, I, I tend to fraternity, fraternity parish and stuff. And even the monks here, I, did, I recently learned, you know, the monks, the back in the beginning, they, they said the new mass for a little while before, uh, before that place was carved out with the Ecclesia Day community for the, for the congregation of Solem to say the old mass. So this is important. This is deep. This is real. Um, I, I really want to be able to get to this and I want to get down. How can we get to the bottom of this in a rational way? And I, I want to cut through the, the mudslinging and all of the, and I want to really be able what, what, you know, how do we determine valid authority? There is so much confusion here. So my unpop is I really want to, this divide say between the society and the fraternity, what, what, what is it? And what, what's the truth? That's my unpop. I want to know. I want to know. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. We're headed for our, our, our two and a half hour mark. This may be the longest rundown we've ever had, <laughs> but I need you to strap in for the longest unpopular opinion that I've ever had, because I need to lay it out to you. I intend to win for a third week in a row because um, wow. that's, that's how we roll. You're going to beat me. I, I, I've won the unpopular opinion for the last two weeks and I intend to win again. And here's why. Many of you have been focused on what's happening at the border. Many of you are looking at the, the, the border between the United States of America and Mexico, and you're saying, oh, these pesky brown people. And I know that you're saying this in your minds because I know I have experienced racism within the traditional community. I've experienced it. I've had people tell me that my daughter, who is three-quarters Mexican, should become a house cleaner. I have t I have had people tell me that my wife is a spick. These are people that are in tradition, that are even prominent members of tradition, that have been raised in tradition. But what my unpopular opinion, it revolves around the idea that we are responsible for what is happening down at the border. It's not the Mexicans' fault. It's our fault. Here's why. Mexico was a Catholic country. Mexico was a Catholic empire. Mexico had a Catholic emperor die, martyred for the faith, Emperor Maximilian. We have sent state-sponsored terrorism. We have spent money, federal money, sending Protestant Bibles down there and underwriting Freemasonic subversive activities in Mexico. This is documented some of our first American presidents 
were so anti-Catholic that they wanted to destroy the Republic of Mexico. We backed Juarez. We backed Calle. We did all of those things. When you know any, if you know anything about the Cristeros, you should know that the Americans were on the other side of the Cristeros. The Americans were trying to get the Cristeros martyred. The Americans were trading for oil rights in exchange for the lives of Catholics. It was Thomas Jefferson who wrote a letter to his successor, future president, Madison, or sorry, Monroe. And the Monroe Doctrine, what is the Monroe Doctrine? The Monroe Doctrine is that the United States, that the Anglo Empire, that the Puritan Empire, that the Anglos, the whites of the upper part of North America were going to take control of the Western Hemisphere and they were going to stop the Europeans from invading or interfering at all in the politics of the Western Hemisphere. Well, this was a response to Catholic uprising. Out in the hinterlands, does this make does does this sound uh, 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 at all familiar to everybody? The urban core versus the um, the suburban core, the rural areas. In the rural areas in Mexico, in Argentina, in Peru, there were uprisings against liberalization, against democracy, against nationalism. These were people who were loyal to crown and altar. And these people did not want what the subversive Freemasons, underwritten and bankrolled by the United States, armed by the United States, were selling. And so Monroe, taking the advice of Jefferson, who wrote in a letter, Jefferson wrote in a letter, hey, you should start a war with Spain. Seize the entire Gulf Coast. Take the Flor the Floridian Empire away from them. And while you're at it, why don't you seize Cuba? Because that's a pretty juicy target. But more importantly, get rid of the brown Catholics at the southern border. And my unpopular opinion is that when we talk about people coming across the border, seeking a better life for themselves, when we talk about the hell that is Mexico, the socialist hell that is down there, it is no one's making but ours. For a hundred years, we have been bankrolling socialism down there. We have underwritten the ills that are down there. And I'm sorry, but the roosters are coming home to roost, ladies and gentlemen. So when you have Fox News going down there and Church Militant going down there talking about the border, let's have a Catholic conversation about a Catholic country called Mexico who we in intentionally subverted by sending Bibles, fake Bibles, fake pastors, fake pamphlets, and most importantly, Freemasonic lodges down to Mexico to subvert those people. Because if we couldn't defeat them militarily, we would at least lead them away from the one true faith and make them bad Catholics. Because the one thing that the Puritan Empire couldn't understand and couldn't, uh, couldn't abide by was anybody being Catholic. If you look at the founding documents of this country, what set off July 4th, what set off the revolution, it wasn't a tax on tea, ladies and gentlemen. The colonials had just fought a long war against France and the Indians, French and Indian War. And they rightly were to be taxed 
because the British Empire had sent their entire military force to protect the colonials in this war. A, a half-cent tax on tea is not the reason why we broke free from the United Kingdom. But at the end of the French and Indian War, when King George III, a committed Protestant, a committed Puritan, not a Puritan, but a committed Protestant, an Anglican, had inherited an entire city, an entire province, the Quebecians, the Quebecis. Yeah. Quebecois. Quebecois. Right? Quebecois. Who were, who were decidedly Catholic, who were decidedly Catholic, and he declined, he declined to include the penal laws, the tradition at that time, the 400-year tradition of England of oppressing Catholics. When he declined to do that on the most sophisticated, most cultured, largest city in the New World, Quebec, when he declined to do that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is what's caused July 4th. 1776. It wasn't the Tea Party. It wasn't a tax on tea. It was the fact that George III might be a crypto-Catholic. He might be a papist. He's not oppressing these new subjects, these new English subjects that which he has just inherited from the French and Indian War in Quebec. That is what caused the American Revolution. That is our founding fathers. That is our founding document. That is what undergirds this, these United States. So when we as traditionalists, when we look down at the plight on the border, on the, on the American and Mexican border, whose fault is it, ladies and gentlemen? We corrupted the Catholic faith down there, and we underwrote, uh, underwrote socialist hell down there. And the roosters are coming home to roost and i am tired of the racism i am tired of the anti-mexican bias and i am tired of all these people who are who are who are basically racist against brown catholics racism against brown catholics has been on this continent for 300 years and it needs to end and milo yiannopoulos is one of those people at church militant who talks about mexicans every single day it's time for it to end, ladies and gentlemen. Racism against Mexicans is not okay. It's not Catholic. It's not funny. And it is not permissible. All right. That's my underpop. Unpopular. Really to win. Win. Tell, tell me about it. Being, being a Mexican American Catholic. <laughs> wow. I'm trying to win. Here we go, guys. And a reminder, folks. Uh, Welcome to the rundown, is, Jeremiah. <laughs> the unpopular opinion is the opinion that you agree with the least. That out of the opinions given makes you so mad. You want to pull your shoe off or you want to throw it or you want to pull your gun and blow a hole in your, your monitor or your TV screen or whatever. Or that just in general, you don't. I'm not sure sure about these, but if you look at objectively, that would be the least popular opinion if you put it out there. That's what it's about. Not what you agree with the most, but what you legitimately do not like, or in advance of that, what you think objectively most people will not like. Amen. All right. Hey, like guys, it. you know what time it is? It's my favorite time. Do you know why it's my favorite time? <laughs> <laughs> we need to grift. We need to grift. Ryan, did you bring anything to the cigar Whoa. shop with you? Did you bring any props? I've got uh, a share screen that I'm going to do. So um, it's actually wonderful. We have Jeremiah with us today. Um, 
Hold on a minute here. Let me get my shirt. There we go. Everyone seeing this? So Jeremiah has been talking about the liturgy of the home. And of course, talked about Septuagesima, talked about the breviary is not this thing just for, you know, it's something everyone should be engaged in, at least at some level. It's not just the book for priests and monks, which is the thing you always hear about the breviary. So I have this book. It's not done yet because I got that, that cover image. I, I've got my photographer working on it to, to tone down some of the glare in the background. But this book should be available for pre-order next week. I'm not putting it for pre-order until I see that it's gone through the approval process and I know I'm getting copies. And I've and of course, this one's been very carefully edited. We're not going to have the same mistake with the recent book I did. Good grief, I'm still uh, smiting from that. But anyway, Autobiography of an Old Breviary. What the heck? What's this book about? And I don't know if I mentioned it on the rundown before. So it's a book where the breviary is telling the story. The breviary is, is giving the account of its tales. And it starts with where he's unfortunately dropped after many years of use and shelved and so he decides he's rather the breviary is rather upset about this and so it's giving the long history of its travels and the things that happened from the, the moment it was taken across the united you know, to the united states by french missionary priest the padre the the discussions he has with people you know that as they say oh oh, oh uh, reverend i see you're reading a, a, your bible oh no no i'm a priest and this is a breviary and then you know laying out just uh, Apart from apologetic defenses for the Catholic Church, the whole purpose of the breviary, how a priest is to pray it devotedly, lovingly, the history of the breviary, how this ties in with the calendar. And actually, I love that we have Jeremiah on tonight because this book goes into the liturgical calendar in great detail uh, as the breviary kind of tells its story and how it's arranged and uh, the various parts of it. Um, you know, it's a totem breviary. It's the whole breviary in one year that the, the, is the, the, the type of breviary that's uh, telling its story. And so and it goes on a, a history of different reforms and whatnot. And so if, um, you know, if, if uh, you can, I highly recommend that particular, um, you know, this book, when it comes out, like I said, it's not available yet. But as soon as I know it's, a, it's uh, ready to get, you know, produced and shipped, uh, that's when I'll open up the pre-order button for it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful book. It's great. You're going to learn a lot of history. You're going to learn a lot of spirituality. And you're going to get you know really interested in what is the breviary? How can I be a part of this thing? I love it. I love it. Okay, this is great. Um, I'm going to take the, I'm going to remove your screen. Um, uh, we have a, a true grifter on with us today uh jeremiah i want you to tell us again one more time i don't know if you can show your screen one more time but you got to tell us about liturgy of the home it's something that i keep framed in my homeschool it's something that my children gaze at they wonder at it we need to bring back wonder one of the things i'm reading about is the synoptic history of wonder uh and we need to have awe and uh, to be honest the the illustrations that you you and your wife have undertaken are awe inspiring well, thank you. This actually is my wife. She is the main the, the main brain behind the illustrations here. And I and I do have my screen share. Actually, I feel I feel I think we made a mistake on the last one when Ryan was talking. It was sharing my screen. But um what we have, you know, we're trying to build a, a resource that families could tap into um to to get some beautiful things, some useful thing, useful things in the home to be able to celebrate the liturgy. Right now we have there there's a we have a, a relationship with Sophia Institute Press 
So if you go to Sophia's website and you type in calendar in the bar, in the menu bar, you can find our calendars there. And you can either order, order the calendars one at a time, or you could actually get a subscription and get the physical calendar sent to you. So that's the Sophia end of it to get physical calendar sent to you that you can hang on the wall. What we also offer is a digital membership and, and we want to grow this thing. But the idea is, is the way that we're doing the art, we're trying to be able to make a, a library of imagery that parent, families could use in multiple ways. So for example, as you see here on your screen, every single, every single image of each day that is a saint's feast day or a major gospel Sunday, we have actually had a series of coloring pages. So for families with little children, you can actually download these images for the entire, for the entire year. So these, this is an example that came out of our advent calendar for, uh, for like Christmas Eve. So if you, if you sign up for the digital membership, you can get the digital calendars. You can actually print them out on yourself. You can either print them out in four sheets and then uh, trim the sides and actually assemble them together. That's how we started this enterprise. We started this by offering a file because you realize the calendar is it's quite large. And so we were initially offering this to homeschool moms and they would print this on their home printers and then they would cut off the margins and sort of bring four sheets of paper to make one large poster. Well, now that we have the Sophia membership that covers that. So, but within our digital membership, we have, you can do, you can still download the calendars and also large and small. You can download coloring pages for every saints feast day of the year and for the Sunday gospels. And we're working on eventually getting a, a series of, 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 black and white line drawings or coloring pages for the different feria days that kind of go through different aspects from the breviary, but that's going to take us a long time. And then also we have these monthly dedications. So every month of the year is dedicated to a different theme. Uh, for example, this is I love this one. This is the July dedication to the most precious blood. So my wife, she, she's once again, she's pulling together our traditions and then we're making these illustrations. The idea is, is you could, uh, if you get in this membership, you can have digital access and you just, you print these things and you display them in your home. You know, for example, every monthly dedication comes with the, the image uh, that, that, that my wife came up with for that, you know, drawn from traditional imagery. And then the hymn that she, most of the uh, monthly dedications are, are associated with the feast day. And there's a Vespers hymn for that. So this, for example, so for the, the dedication for July to the most precious blood, we uh, she took the Vespers hymn translated in English and just put it in here. And you can actually display those two in your home. And we're actually trying to also get uh, Michaela's brother. He sings the hymn to a Latin to a Latin to to the Latin chant because we found that many of these uh, translations they have the same syllables and the same sort of rhyme and meter. We're trying to we're just we're trying to make ways where we can bring it down closer to touch. So ultimately we'd like to have the Latin hymn and then the, you know, in, in the vernacular, but to the chant um, for each of these, you know, these beautiful hymns. So within our membership, we're trying to add more content. We're trying to build a, a library of, of songs. Uh, also, we want to eventually uh, gather recipes that you could make on certain feast days, but we're trying to basically be, make a resource that families could use to easily, more easily celebrate the liturgical year in their home. And that that's, beautiful. that's what Liturgy of the Home is, is really all I'm, about. I'm, if I'm sure you're thought. aware, I'm sure you're aware of the Von Trapp family, but uh, around the year with the Von Trapps has yes. plenty of recipes in it for uh, liturgical cooking. Hey, uh, so just to understand, so when I was doing my little grifter segment, uh, my screen wasn't shared. No, we need to share your screen right. again, Ryan. Right. Yeah, I'll try it again. Right now. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see it still. Wait just a second, I got to... Uh, there we go. 
How about now? Oh, here we go. Okay, there it is. That's what I was talking about. There we go. The cover file, because I don't have the book yet. Um, just waiting on a couple of touches of that photograph. I'm trying to tone down the back uh, background glare. So when that's done, and then it gets approved, and I get copies, I'll open up the pre-order button. So that's what you'll be looking for. It'll be on the the, the um, scroll bar on the top of MediatrixExpress.com when it comes out. Excellent. Uh, thank you for thank you for clarifying that, Ryan. Um, we got to go to Brother Martin because this is my favorite se- segment, and it's also Brother. <laughs> he's supposedly raking the dough, right? Bringing a bunch of cash. Anyway, oh yeah, but- <laughs> dude, we're we're rich. <laughs> anyway, we're get- we're getting rich because the only thing I have to sell is a calendar, right? Uh, $10, $10 for uh, pre-55 Augustinian calendar. It's February. we got five unique Augustinian saints or, or feast days coming up this week in February. Um, last week, we the only Augustinian saint we had was St. William the Hermit, who's one of the founding orders of the uh, the Grand Union, uh, so to speak, the several different hermitages that united to become the Order of St. Augustine back in the 1200s, 1250s, etc., um, but if you want a pre-55 calendar, you want something to hold on to tradition with, um, the Augustine calendar gives you all the fast days, except unique Augustinian saints, as well as underneath, it gives you the, the saints that you would see on your pre-55 calendar or this, uh, the fellow Lassant's missile. So, uh, this is only $10. Uh, it's a very practical use. Um, com slash shop. You can find it there. Uh, we've got some other things for sale there too, as as uh, like our Augustine martyrology, etc. Uh, the other thing I want to grit for is, is continuing to grit for uh, uh, RTF's battle against church militant, in the sense that um, I mean we 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 know how Catholics should be, behave in these situations uh, when there's disagreement, um, but coming up with a, a a lawsuit is completely uncalled for um, for defamation of all things. Um, we, we've seen the text messages, we've seen the emails of the things that have gone on behind the scenes, and they're inexplicable uh, from Church Militant's perspective. Um, do what I want you to do or else pay the consequences or, or else I'll in, uh, release public, publicly information that I think about you that I don't even know about you. Um, they say he's been accused from fraud, but they, a history of fraud, history is a key word, um, but they can't uh, identify any moment in history that he's committed fraud. The only thing they do is, is bring in the oldest St. Augustine and they've been proven false in every other aspect um, of, of, of committing any, any sort of fraud. They're a multi-million dollar corporation suing a family man um, with, with, with six children. Um, it's, it's completely unfair. It's a David and Goliath situation. Um, as I spoke earlier about podcasters, there's, there's too much power in podcasting uh, that clergy um, gets suppressed for the truth. Um, and in this situation as well, uh, it, it, it's, it's the same. The truth is being suppressed because of power and because of podcasting power. Um, it's unjust. It's unfair. Um, so if, if, you all, if, if you all want to do something to actually help you promote the truth, I mean, Mike doesn't make any really any money off of, off of this podcast. He, As you all might, might have noticed in the past few months, it's, RTF has basically just been the rundown because he's in the process of moving, building a a new studio, et cetera, et cetera. So he's just basically keeping his channel alive. He's not doing anything extravagant uh, to gain millions and millions of dollars as, as church millions and often 
uh, tries to make him appear to be this this multimillionaire where where he just uh, profiteering et cetera et cetera. Um, RTF is just a, a channel that that that's here to allow us to to sh- to share with you the truth of the gospel, to share with you our ideas regarding politics in in light of the gospel, um, and all that all that kind of stuff et cetera. Um, so if if you all want to keep this on, honest journalism, this honest podcasting, um, this podcasting where those of us that can um, that ha- that acknowledge the truth that are willing to express the truth uh, to give us a platform to share that truth uh, rtf is, is certainly a, a channel to invest in um, especially against those who are, who are trying to, to suppress that be, precisely because the truth is something that gains followers um, but those um, channels that are, are more interested in in having behind them millionaires to donate to them um, they don't necessarily get they don't they don't get the the, the numbers, um, but they get the money. So um, they're trying to crush those who get the numbers because they make them look bad, etc. So I, I would suggest definitely give sendgo.com slash defeat cm tv um, to support platforms such as this that fundraise to create new new traditionalist monasteries as opposed to those who create spotlights to to trash traditionalist monasteries like like those in the, in Wyoming. Um, RTF supports new traditionalist monasteries. CM trashes those. Um, so really, choose which side you're on um, in this scenario, um, and, and really, and really um, consider prayerfully consider um, supporting uh, restoring the faith in this matter. All right. Uh, well, thank you for that, brother. Um, After James, that, what, what's left for you to grift, Mike? <laughs> I know, right? Well, I, I was going to go to James. I was going to go to James. So, so, so selfless you are, Mike. Um, anyway, <laughs> second week in a row, uh, help Mike out. He's got to help me pay for this house that I'm living in. And, uh, <laughs> make sure you guys do a good job of that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, amazing. Hey, uh, Jeremiah, thanks for joining us on this uh, special, a uh, longest edition of the rundown of all time. I think by a long shot, by at least 25, 30 minutes. I mean, this is my pleasure. I would love <laughs> to come on again. Awesome. <laughs> all right. It's been, it's been great. This is the rundown. Subscribe to the channel, like the page, follow us on Twitter and God bless.
Thank you.